Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You are looking at a remarkable idea. An idea that has intrigued and attracted and literally thrilled thousands upon thousands of men, women, and children. And you, my friends, are about to witness this idea become a reality. For this is the story of the miracle sea in the desert. The freedom of speech is being taken. Say it, sell it. Anything you practice, you'll get good at And welcome to a brand new life, to a brand new day, all the way from the wastelands of California. My name is Michael, and I look forward to once again serve you those sounds of salvation. First time listeners, turn on, tune in, and drop out. This is a very different kind of show, a place where you don't feel so alone. Let us chase away the light no matter what you at home choose to believe. I do admire you for your curiosity. Yeah, live and direct right now on the TuneIn Radio app. Search End of Days. You can also go to iTunes and Google Play or MichaelDeacon.com if you care to interact with me or other listeners like yourself. Now, in the year 1975, a group of bloggers are returning home to Snowflake, Arizona. They noticed bizarre glowing lights in the distance. Curiosity got the best of the group. They seemed for the source. And one, Travis Walton, gets out of the van gets right up next to the subject, only to be taken away. Mike Rogers is my guest tonight. He is a part of one of the most famous UFO cases in ufology. The story caught international buzz. And of course, in 1993, Fire in the Sky was released. It has become a classic story that I believe will continue to live on for years to come. Now, without further ado, let's bring in Mr. Mike Rogers. Yes. There we go. What's going on? I'm just sitting here waiting for you. Perfect. I'm glad you are ready and rigged for the program. I do want to welcome you to my side of the woods out here in California. You're out there in Arizona. So I kind of feel like we're very close by. Yeah, we're both in Arizona. Oh, yes. So, Mike, what's going on with you? How is life out there? That's pretty good. Uh, I'm 71 years old, so I'm slowing down a little. Other than that, it's all right. Oh, Mike, you're still sharp? I guess. I think, <laughs> <Am> you, I? <laughs> I think you are. I mean, we talked and uh, before before doing this program way earlier, and I was actually quite surprised that you were even able to find the program. Uh, you, you mean uh, initially? Right, right. Yeah. Well, I heard it on uh, Coast to Coast. There was something on Coast to Coast about it. Really? Uh, yeah, I listened to that program uh, like once a week or something, and, and there was something on Coast to Coast about 
Michael Deacon's show. And uh, you happened to be mentioning the Phoenix Lights. That's kind of what got me onto it. You're saying that the Phoenix Lights aren't exactly what they're supposed to be. Uh, there's some problems there, something like that. I didn't hear all of it, but I caught that part of it. And so I looked it up on the computer, and that's how I found you. Wow. That is amazing. But, Mike, I, I'm curious about you and your story and how all of these things began for you. And I thought we could go back to the roots of all these things, Mike, leading up to that night, back when you were 28 years old. Yeah. So before any of before any of these things happened in your life, Mike, were you ever at all interested in, let's say, science fiction uh, or extraterrestrials for that matter? Well... I've, all my life, even when I was younger, uh, I was I was interested in science, uh, math. You know, I really wasn't too interested in uh, nonfiction. I, you know, I mean, I wasn't too interested in the fiction. I was I was nonfiction. Uh, I liked electronics, uh, engineering. You know, and believe it or not, even though people think of me as a, a solid believing skeptic, you know, a true believer. I am a true believer, but I'm also a realist. Right. And uh, and I've been that way all my life. Uh, my dad and my grandfather kind of made me that way, I guess. It's in my blood. But uh, when when the UFO event happened to us in 1975, it was pretty much a shock. I mean, it's not something that the guys, my crew, didn't talk about. You know, every now and then they would bring up the subject. So it wasn't like it was entirely new to me. I thought about the possibility of something, but when that night happened, uh, it was very much a shock to me. I it was a real eye opener. My goodness, yeah, I don't blame you for for feeling that way. And of course, that's something I always wondered. By the way, Mike, how your parents took all all this in? Uh, they were kind of skeptical, but also <laughs> they believed me. They didn't think you but killed anyone then. Killed anyone? No. Yes. They didn't believe that at all. Uh, very few people did. That was pretty much uh, Sheriff Gillespie and. In that group, you know, especially as under sheriff, <laughs> so you know, they were very these characters. They thought we'd kill Travis. Yeah. Yeah. So these characters in the film, that was an accurate uh, depiction of these characters. Would you say the depiction of the characters was accurate, but the way they did the story was a bit off. Yeah. And one thing I do want to mention to you, Mike, when you did initially contact me, I didn't exactly really add one and one together, I didn't exactly realize that it was Michael Rogers emailing me. Um, huh. This story has been a part of my childhood for such a long time, Mike. And yes. I didn't want... It's been uh, 42, 43 years. Right. Yep. Yeah, so, you know, when I talked to you, I didn't really want to uh, freak out or, or act too crazy when I talked to you. Cause well, I was, you didn't. <laughs> I was very excited <laughs> yeah, to talk level. to you. Yeah, man, I was very excited and couldn't believe I was actually talking to you. Yeah, I don't go out looking for attention. I'm not like that. But right, right. Uh, I tend to tend to not tell people who I am. Uh, I'm just not a boaster, I should say. I, I kind of like to be normal. Yeah, you know, there, there's so much to go over here with you tonight, and we're going to talk yeah. about your the incident a little bit more. And of course, we'll get into the Phoenix Lights uh, incident, of course, but. Yes, let, let's first get into the whole Travis Walton incident. Of course, you were just 28 years old when that went down, from my understanding. And, of course, yeah. the, the whole movie starts with you guys, um, a group of you guys inside of a truck, 
and it's kind of chaotic when you guys are driving there. But let's start from there. Well, that was very real in the in the movie. That was the closest to the way it really happened. To all things, and Travis's encounter and his his uh, personal experience was something they changed quite a bit. Uh, if you've ever read his book, uh, either one of them, they're both kind of the same thing, but they've had different titles. The first one was called The Walton Experience, and the second one was Fire in the Sky, taking the name of the, of the movie, basically. And uh, so his his thing was changed, and he didn't like that too much, but he kind of had to go along with it, or there wouldn't have been a movie. And you have to understand where Hollywood's at. When, it, when they start making a movie of, of a real thing, they pretty much have to change a good part of it so that they're not going to get sued <laughs> coming and going. <laughs> right, right, right. And, of course, they have to embellish a few things as well. They actually under-embellish things. <laughs> if you can see that, you know, it's a, they downplayed a whole lot of things. Uh, and I'd have to get into specifics and like that and, and uh, uh, I get off on a tangent with it. But Well, that's fine. I think, well, I'm curious about the abduction scene itself. It, was that accurate at all? Yeah, that was pretty accurate. Uh, that's one of those things I, they'd actually downplayed. Uh, he was hit by a beam of energy that blew him back real bad. I mean, it was very dramatic. And in the movie, they just it looks like he was just spellbound by this light, and then he fell down, sort of. Uh, so it was kind of downplayed. <laughs> you know, in real life, it was much more dramatic. Understood. Yes, and of course, I also got a chance to go back and watch the movie for the first time as an adult, and much more different this time around. I was able to absorb much more of the story, and my God, Robert Patrick actually played you in the film. Yeah. The the T-1000, I mean, my God. How cool is that, Mike? <laughs> yeah. Well, he pretty much changed his personality. I mean, that's what an actor is. He became me. I, I, I made a remark one time on the... Good Morning America, and telling you he, he he did a better me than I do. <laughs> I mean, goddamn it, the T-1000, Mike. I mean, it doesn't get any cooler than that, in my opinion. And you were kind of portrayed a, a bit of like a little bit of a, a badass, Mike. Well, they downplayed that, too. <laughs> oh, awesome. You know what? That's a great answer. Back then, back then, I was, uh, you know, they showed a scene in the movie, uh, uh, me having a scuffle with Alan Dallas. Right. In right. reality, that was a full-blown fight. Oh, really? Uh, you know, it was, yeah, it was just a full-blown fight without having to say more. But uh, that's what I mean by downplaying. There's uh, a whole okay. lot of things that were much more dramatic in real life than they were in that movie. Now, let's hit that rewind button really quickly here. How were you guys approached for, for the film? I'm, now I'm curious. Well, Tracy Tormey was the one that came up with the idea. Like you, he was... Uh, he was a kid, basically, when when he heard the incident. Yeah. Seventeen years later, he was a writer in Hollywood, and, and he came up with the idea and wanted to make a movie about it, and he sold it to uh, Paramount, and that's how it came about. Uh, he came to uh, Snowflake and talked to me and talked to Travis and talked to as many of the other guys were were, were around, but uh, Tracy Torme is the one that put it together. He's the son of Mel Torme, if you know who that is. Very vaguely. Well, he's a, a singer. Mel Torme is a, a you know a vocalist. Yeah, so I was going to say, wasn't that some sort of entertainer? Yeah. Yeah, that no but, wonder it was familiar. So going back to the scene with Travis Walton being abducted, you definitely 
seriously hightailed it out there, and you felt some guilt, so you returned, correct? Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, so, so I actually the, broke mm-hmm. down. Oh, you were actually uh, okay. When we, when we, after we came back and we were looking for him and couldn't find him, uh, that was very emotional. Yeah. It was, mm-hmm. um, I basically cried. Hard to admit that. <laughs> but, uh, we just went through something very, very traumatic. Just about as traumatic as it can get. Yeah. I can't even imagine what was going through your head. And uh, Travis literally got sucked into this craft, right? Yeah, well, we didn't see that, but, but yeah, uh, we, we left, we saw him blown back by this thing, this explosion of light or energy, whatever it was. He hit the ground, uh, it took me five seconds to see that he wasn't gonna, he wasn't moving, and the impact of the thing was so shocking. Uh, we left. I mean, I had some of the guys in the back of the truck just screaming at me to, to get the heck out of there, get the hell out of there. And so I did, oh my you know. God. I had actually turned the truck off. And uh, I had to turn it back on before he could go. But as soon as the engine came back to life, I hit the gas and we peeled out and took off, which uh, the scene in the movie is pretty accurate, you know, <laughs> running down this dirt road and banging into trees and things like that. It, uh, that was that was pretty accurate. That is wild. You guys are lucky you didn't crash. Yeah. Well, we are. That's dangerous. <laughs> it could have easy. Holy have easy enough. My goodness. So once you drove back... You were alone at this time, right? No, uh, I was not. Oh, okay. Uh, that's one of the mm-hmm. departures. I, uh, I gave the, you know, I stopped like, like the shows in the movies stopped up up the roadways and I gave my crew the opportunity to get out of the truck and wait by the side of the road. In reality, in real life, they didn't want that at all. <laughs> they all got back in, in the truck. It's not like they all had this idea that they were scared and they wanted to stay away from. They were kind of mixed. Like I was, you know, we got to go back, but you know, my goodness, what just happened, you know, uh, very apprehensive about what we're doing. And, but we did go back, they all went back. And, and when I went back, I pulled my truck back into that spot, that clearing where the light shined right where he was. He wasn't there. The, the vehicle wasn't there. Uh, it was just dark except for my headlights. We got out. We all walked arm in arm. Pretty much, uh, up around, you know, made a circle around a couple of times, the outside of the clearing, and, uh, couldn't find him. And that's when I broke down. My goodness. But I wasn't, I wasn't alone in that feeling. Uh, a couple of the other guys had tears in their eyes, and, and not just, not that Travis was such a great guy. It's just that, you know, this, the whole incident was just so traumatic. It was, you know, it brought tears to your eyes. Of course. Of course. And then, and then, uh, you would have to worry what's going to become of, of about all this once it gets out. Yeah, and that's well, when... that was something we thought more about on the way back to town when we were talking. We we had to report it. Right. And I was saying, there, no, 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 I, I'm not going to. I'm not going to call anybody. <laughs> I I can't handle that. Ken Peterson had the stability to actually call, but I, I he didn't tell them what had actually happened. He just told them we had a missing man. You know. Somebody lost, and, and uh, they were caught. He was calling, and you know, in the movie they show like a guy showing up right away. You know, uh, but uh, in reality, Holbrook is, uh, I guess, about 35 miles from Heber, where we were. And uh, Sheriff Gillespie, and this was at night too. He was off duty. Uh, he drove 
with his undersheriff all the way to Heber. And so it was it was about 45 minutes before we saw him. The person that Ken called was was uh, Chuck Ellison. I think it was Chuck Ellison, uh, one of the local uh, deputies there. But uh, we didn't talk to the actual sheriff until he got there. And I'd say that about 45 minutes later. I was surprised that he came from, from Heber. But it was, I think it was uh, the deputy there that calling him about it that got him prompted because by that time we had the opportunity to in person to tell him about the UFO and exactly what had happened. And so the sheriff heard that. And I, I think it was that. I, I, ordinarily, I don't know if he would have come out that quick, you know, himself personally. Uh, Might have conducted a search or whatever that night. But I don't know if he would have come personally. But he did. And uh, it went from there. We actually conducted a search that we went back up. That, they didn't show that in the movie either. We went back up the hill, three of us. Uh, four, four of us, well, Travis was gone. Uh, three of us in the crew didn't go back. But they didn't want to go back. I mean, I, they couldn't be made to go back. Right. But three of us did, and uh, and you know had three or four uh, policemen, uh, sheriff there, and they had a four wheel drive, and we toured around there quite a bit and looked for Travis that night and couldn't find him, couldn't find tracks or anything. And the next day they got a search going early, and it was a pretty big search. It was uh, about uh, somewhere between sixty and eighty men, some on horseback, mostly on foot, and they. The second day of the search, which would have been a Friday, uh, I believe. Anyway, they, they had a helicopter. I had two helicopters, actually, not just one, scouring the area. And it was quite a commotion there for a while. Couldn't find any trace of him anywhere. And they had dogs, too. Yeah, the entire town was out looking for him. Well, not the entire town, but, but a lot, you know, a lot of search and rescue people. Lots of them. All of them, basically. <laughs> I don't know how many there were, actually, but I know there was enough. The woods were full of people, put it that way. My goodness. And the entire time, the town thought, you murdered Travis. No, that was something that was kind of put in there's the people's heads by the sheriff and them. So the they sheriff. They were the ones that were thinking that. So the sheriff was really a ball buster, as depicted in the, in the film. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, my. <laughs> I mean, he was hard-nosed. He wasn't necessarily a, a bad guy or anything like that. He was a good guy. He just he was just doing his job, you yeah, know. Very strict. He, he did it very well. Right, right. <laughs> he was elected twice as sheriff, uh, from what I understand. You know, after an interim. Right, but, and uh, and of course he was the the one to initiate the polygraph uh, the polygraph test, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. And he brought a guy out of Phoenix. Uh, his name was Cy Gilson, and he was a real hard nose. <laughs> I remember sitting there, you know, I'm I'm like the well of course I'm the head of the crew, you know, and they looked at me as, as the main person. So Cy Gilson would come over to me and more than more than once says, You aren't lying, are you? And he would <laughs> slap me with the back of his fingers on my on my shoulder. Hard enough to hurt, you know? No, yes. <laughs> I realized what that was all about, but you know, we were getting kind of out of hand. We didn't we didn't believe it. Uh, Alan Dallas's mother was there and she was saying, you know, they're not going to believe anything. They're they're, they're going to dummy these tests. Uh, you, know, you didn't take these tests and all that sort of stuff. And we were in the county lockup at the time. I mean, we came there willingly. But each, as as we finally got into the tests and we're taking them one at a time, the person who finished their test had to go out into this yard that was a big rock-in wall wall and weren't, couldn't go anywhere. They had to stay there all day. I mean, these tests took all day long up until the night. And they, they took about two hours apiece 
or longer. Uh, the tests were very thorough, and they were asking questions about, of course, whether we'd done anything to Travis Walton, but also about the truth of the incident. And uh, at the end of the day, the, the examiner, Cy Gilson, didn't want to tell us. I just say, uh, everybody, you got to tell us something. <laughs> you know? And it's kind of like, well, the, the scene in the movie was really pretty accurate. Uh, I uh, I demanded to know something, and he said, well, I'm afraid one of your tests was inconclusive, Alan Dallas. I kind of knew that immediately because Alan Dallas was, you know, very weary of the law. You know, he's a bad kid. He, he, you know, he had a record already. And uh, so he was a little scared about that. But uh, toward the end of his test, and they, they would run, run us through these tests, uh, the whole, whole battery of questions, uh, three times. So I, I knew that Alan Dallas's test was inconclusive. I, I kind of figured there'd be a problem with it to start with. But after the Ty Gelson said that, I said, well, what about the rest of us? He says, well, I got to tell you, you all passed the test, and that was a big relief. Yeah. Big relief. <laughs> I would have felt the same way. So, yep, I think anybody would. No doubt. And of course, so a few days go by, and Travis makes the call. From what I recall, did he call his sister first? Uh, his uh, the movie deliberately changed that. He said brother-in-law. I, I wasn't his brother-in-law yet. I would be with it about a year or so later, but he was, he was his other brother-in-law, husband of his sister. Uh, that's who he called. I think his name is Brant Neff. I don't know if he wants me to say it here, but you know, that's who he actually called. Uh-oh. And then Brant Neff, of course, called Travis's other brother, Dwayne Walton, and him and you know, he, already, he has three other brothers, two other brothers, they were all there, and Dwayne was a very fair, but he's also a boxer. You know, he's somebody you don't want to mess with. Oh, no. Uh, you know, and uh, he died uh, three or four years ago, but uh, at the time, he was packed full of muscles, and he was serious business, and uh, I was even scared of him, <laughs> hmm. you know, even though I've been a boxer and all that, but uh, he was he was very serious, and, and he was very nice at the same time. I was surprised by that, because I always thought he was kind of a badass. But when it came to this thing, he was very concerned about Travis, and, and he didn't do anything, uh, you know, wrong or out of hand. He he treated pretty well, and, and I kind of think it was a good lesson for him too. Yes, and the one thing I do want to point out to those who uh, are new to this case: this isn't a case that happened in the '90s, by the way. This is something that happened back in uh, seventy-five. Seventy-five, correct. Uh, just in case yeah. anyone out there is misled. Uh, some people are thinking it, it happened in the 90s because of the film. That's one yeah. of the misconceptions. But yeah. The film came out in 1993, I Three. think. Three. Mm-hmm. And, and this uh, happened in 1975, November 5th, 1975. What a different time that was compared to what we're going through today, correct? My God. Yes. Time has really holy, changed, hasn't it? Holy hell. Of course, <laughs> of course, I wasn't around to experience it. But just going through the history and all that sort of thing and seeing society shape and form, especially after 9-11, that's when everything uh, really changed. The fundamentals of this country uh, altered forever, in my opinion, sir. Yes, I believe so. And I have some theories about that. <laughs> I don't need to get into that right now. Sure. We, we, yes. Things have definitely changed. Oh, my goodness. Yes, sir. So... Uh, 
Travis calls the sister or whoever he called rather. And what, what happened then? Did you, who gave you the call? I didn't even see Travis or know he was back for over a day. Uh, it was, it was Travis's family, uh, went out and got him. He was in a phone booth out of Heber, the town that where we were when we called the, the authorities. And, um, they went out there and, and found him. He thought it was, a, Travis thought it was the same night, but it was five days later, a little over five days. And, um, he had a growth of beard and, and I didn't see this, of course, but I know the story. They, uh, they whisked him off down to the valley. I mean, they took him to Snowflake first briefly and he saw his mother and stuff and everything. And, and then they took him down to Dwayne Wallen's house down, down in Glendale, Arizona. And that's where all everything happened down there. Uh, and all that, is, you know, in the movie, that's like I say, that's another downplay. There's lots of downplays in that movie. Uh, things that were fictionalized most often were fictionalized in a way to, uh, uh, non-exaggerate, unexaggerate, you know, it was the reverse of exaggeration. Most movies are exaggerated, you know, this one wasn't. Everything was, was definitely smoother and milder than, than the real life, uh, by far. Uh, there was an awful big hubbub that went on, uh, lots of things. The sheriff went down to see Travis, I think within two days, one day or two days, and uh, he was still skeptical. He had already know, you know, he already knew that none of us had killed him. That was pretty obvious. And of course, he knew that after the examiner announced him. And the examiner, you know, Cy Gelson, I've gotten to know him since, and he's a character, and uh, he's retired now. But uh, he says that the face on on the Sheriff Gillespie, you know, he says he'll always remember that. Because he was so dumbfounded. <laughs> Sheriff Gillespie was, he looked dumbfounded. You know, when he heard that, he said, you know, Gillespie says, you know, these guys passed the test. They're not lying. And they actually did. They're telling the truth about everything. And nobody's hurt Travis. We, we, you know, he's just missing. And, uh, Sheriff Gillespie, uh, impressed that side goes in that way. And I didn't see it, but I believe it because that's exactly the way it would have happened. Understood. And, when exactly did you learn of the abduction story of these entities? Was that accurate? Mm, it was and it wasn't. <laughs> I have to kind of pick it apart. You know, he he met two kinds, and in the movie he didn't. He only met one. Uh, the initial incident, Travis's incident, board when he woke up, he woke up in a state of shock. You know, in pain. And the first thing he saw, what he thought, thought was at first was doctors with masks on. He thought that he was on a, on a table and they were operating on him or something. He thought it was the same night. Uh, but, but when he, when he came to, he could see that these, these little creatures, three and a half, four feet tall, big, big gray heads, you know, uh, they, they were standing around him and, and he freaked out and he jumped off the table and he says the place was small and it was dim and it was very, very humid. And, uh, these little creatures didn't, didn't immediately leave. He kind of had to shoo them away. You know, he had to grab something off of a, he didn't know what it was. It was like a long tube or something. And he was lashing out at them and they left. And all of a sudden they just left. And then he went, went looking through the ship very carefully, went into a round room that had a chair in it and stuff. And he was looking around and he said that the, you could see the light, like, like the stars in the sky, but not the ground, just the stars, like you're out in space and, and uh, he said that not too long after that, this, this guy came to the door, and he looked like a human. He was uh, 
you know, and he was wearing a helmet, like like a astronaut helmet, but not not that bulky. Just uh, the way he describes it, it was very. The guy was muscular. He was good looking, and there was something strange about the eyes. You know, I've I've illustrated all that, and uh, you know, I understood. I understand well exactly what what they looked like and everything. But uh, he, this character, whoever he was, uh, wouldn't talk to him and let him out and let him out of this craft that they were in and into a big, large hangar, a huge hangar area, and he could see other aircraft or uh, UFOs, I guess you call them, around it there. Let him across the other side of the hangar and through a door and down the hall and, and then into another small room where there were three more people that looked just like him. He said they had a family resemblance, and their probably the best description of them would be what they call the Nordic type. Right. Yeah, I find that six, interesting six, that they. Water, so. I, I find that interesting that they left that out of the movie. Yeah, well, weird. The movie couldn't be too long, and oh, I guess it right. was probably just complicated for him. Ah, uh, yeah. That wouldn't be scary enough, you know. <laughs> but uh, uh, anyway, these people didn't talk to him either. He never was able to get any answers or any comments out of any of these people. Uh, they looked very human, uh, and they looked kindly, you know. But. They put him on another table and then, and they put a thing over his mouth and held him down and, and he went out. That's the last thing he remembers. And he woke up five days later or he was gone five days and, and two hours or something. And, uh, so when his brother you know, told him, no, it's been five days, Travis just didn't understand that he, he was kind of floored by that. And I didn't hear about anything that happened for a couple of days, two or three days, actually. I mean, I heard about him being returned like a day later, but I didn't go down to see him for, for I think, three days later. And then I was able to talk to him about it and stuff, but he wasn't real forthcoming about things. Uh, he was just kind of subdued. And he had a lot of people trying to get information out of him. So I understand his, his experience, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty wild to think, how am I actually going to communicate with this guy in a normal way Yeah. without him freaking out? Yep. Uh uh, I didn't push him, you know. I could see that he he didn't want to talk about it, and uh, I asked him certain things, and he would tell me, you know. He didn't he didn't refuse to tell me anything. He just was reluctant, acted reluctant, and so basically, my conversation with him was to try to try to normalize him, just talking about normal things. And that was most of our conversation. But I did learn a little bit about what had happened to him, and I learned more when when I heard from uh, other people like. Travis's brother told me about it. And he, Travis went through a, a battery. Of, I mean, they took him to a doctor as soon as he, they got to Phoenix. And he, he went through all kinds of tests. And then they got a hold of APRO, which is located in Tucson. And uh, it no longer exists. But at the time, uh, APRO took took the reins. And they everything you could imagine. Uh, he, he went through everything. Dr. Leo Sprinkle, uh, all kinds of psychiatric stuff, psychiatric tests. Um, you name it, um, they put him through the ringer. And when you talked to him, did you ever at one point say, so, Travis, is that the truth? That really happened? Yeah. You, uh-huh. Did you try that, that move with him? That was one of the first things I said to him. Okay, good. Very yeah, good. Yeah, he, he, he said, like I say, he's reluctant about everything, but he acknowledged that. He would answer my question. I just didn't want to push him real far. Yeah. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to calm move. him down. I, I knew I could tell that he wanted to talk. He wanted to be normal. He really wanted that. 
Yeah, this is one of those cases I, I refer to at times where I think I'm not exactly sure if it's, um, if, if this really happened or not. And talking to you, it makes me lean towards that it did happen. Again, this is one of those cases that really drove me to become a lot more uh, interested in, in extraterrestrials and UFOs and all of that. Yeah. But before, you know, my interest was always there, this basically furthered that interest. Well, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> I would think that everybody in their right mind, anybody logical, would uh, would look at it that way. Uh the, the case is very believable. I mean, if you talk to Cy Gilson, you don't think anything up but belief because he came up here as a skeptic. You know, he didn't believe it at all, and he became a full-blown believer. He was he was as astounded as Sheriff Gillespie was about the results, and he says that his particular method of you know polygraph is uh, basically foolproof. Just one person. It's, it's, uh, he said, I think it's, uh, 90, 96 to 98% or 94 to 98% accurate. Uh, a crazy person can slip through it if they're real good at, you know, looking normal. But Cy Gilson says that there's, there's one, there's methods that can prove or disprove your, your state of mind, whether or not you're like a pathological liar or something. Right. But this is, they, they this can is, determine that. Yeah. Without even asking you questions about the, purpose you know right and what I, when, go ahead. i'm sorry to cut you off but what i'm what i was going to say was what, what i find interesting was given the fact the year was 1975 uh i i would have to say or assume that none of you had that sort of knowledge to pull this off well i've never taken a lie detector test before exactly that, that's, fact, i don't think right. anybody had any of us yeah so that's why i'm thinking well you wouldn't know any sort of method on how to uh, pass one of these things back in 75? Well, I still don't know that you can do it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'd like to say, you have to be like a pathological liar, uh, somebody with a, some sort of strange ability to to believe that what you're saying is the truth, you know? But when you get that many people, and that's the thing that Cy uh, is, is always says, one person, okay, two people, no. Six people, absolutely not. There's no way in the world, you know, it's like, like taking those kind of odds and then multiplying it times its odds, times its odds, times its odds, times its odds. There's no way. It's, yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's foolproof that way. Yeah, slim to none. Say that again? Very, very interesting. And, of course, after all this went on, how was life for you at this time? Well, at the time, it was real hard because uh, – People were not believing of it at all. And the movie, they show everything where, like, they show a big banquet there at my house, and, and uh, my sister's there that, that Travis wasn't even going with her at the time. They liked each other, but this thing about him proposing to her or bringing her donuts up upstairs like that, that wasn't, that didn't happen for a while, you know, but still. Did that actually happen? Well, yeah, later on. Ah, okay. He married her. He married my sister. What was he? How long was an hour? About a year later. Was he as big of a goofball as he was as portrayed in the film? Yeah, again, I didn't understand that. Was he as much of a goofball as he was portrayed in the film? No. Okay. Yeah, they made <laughs> him very was, goofy. He was. He was more more straight straight laced. Uh, they portray him as a a bad guy because he rode a motorcycle and stuff, and he wasn't really a churchgoer, you know. 
he was a, it was a Jack Mormon, <laughs> what they call a Jack Mormon. Oh, Somebody Hollywood claims Holly. to be a Mormon, but they're, they're they don't really go to church or anything. Yes, uh, Hollywood likes to do these things. Yeah, that's all Hollywood right there. Reality was much more dramatic, much more so, and much more involved by far. So when all this went down, did mom and dad think you were crazy at any time, or they no, fully believed uh, you? Uh, my dad and I had talked about things. You know, it's funny. When I was a kid, he uh, he would tell me we even talked about reality, you know, and, and whether how real is reality. And he had this this uh, thing. It was like a test. It was something he told everybody. He, he worked with a lot of people, too. He was a crew boss as well. And uh, in the logging woods, you, you you gain a real strict sense of reality. Well, he had this thing. He would say, hey, if you have any question about how real is reality, take a hard run down the hill and slam your head hard into one of those little 12-inch soft pines. And he says, when you wake up in the doctor's office <laughs> with 15 stitches and a splitting headache, you will have come to know just how real reality is. <laughs> I like your dad. What'd you say? I like your dad. He's he's wise. Yeah, he, wiser than me. He also went on drinking binges, so I don't know how wise he actually was. Well, you know, sometimes you gotta you gotta get the spirit in you every now and then. It happens. Yeah, that never happened to me, <laughs> but uh, it did to him. Oh my! Uh, every you know, two or three months or something. <laughs> but you were you were close to your father, though. You had a, a good solid relationship with him, right? Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. that's good. Yeah, so you know, sometimes yeah. I talk to uh, various guests on on this program, Mike, and uh, some of them are not close to their fathers, and you know that that's always troubling to me. You know, I grew up with both my parents, and I love both of them very much, and yeah. I, I always get sad when I, I hear that other people don't have that sort of relationship. Well, I didn't just have that kind of a relationship; I had it with both of my grandparents on both sides. Very good. And my grandfather Rogers owned. Uh, a lot of land. He owned about half a snowflake on the west side. My grandfather Howard lived right across the, the creek from there, but what they call the wash, it was a dry part of the time. And he owned a big, big section of land there. You know, it was basically a ranch. And I lived half my childhood there and half my childhood on the other place. And both places were very lush. One place is full of animals and all that. The other place is full of grapevines and, you know, pear trees and apple trees and corn, cornfields and that was my childhood, and I, I, I think now that I've listened to everything and everything I, anybody else has and has gone through as a child, I was very fortunate. Yeah, very good, very, very good. Sounds good to me. And, Mike, we are coming up on a, on a break here, and, of course, I do want to talk about the Phoenix Lights incident with you when we return. Will you be all right with taking a little break? Sure. In all fact, right. I want one. Uh, perfect, perfect. Okay, yes, we'll we'll both go to the bathroom and and get a drink and we'll return and I'll give you a, a little buzz in a few moments here. Okay. All right, Sounds Mike. Good. All right, I'll, I'll check in with you in a few moments here, Mike. Go ahead and okay. do your thing, and I'll talk to you soon. Okay. All right. Thank you. And there goes my guest, Mr. Mike Rogers. A fantastic evening so far. I am just loving all of this very much. It's it's very nostalgic to go back to all these classic cases, and we, we're going to discuss a, a few things here coming up. Uh, I'm just thrilled. And, of course, all of you are more than welcome to 
Call in with your questions. That number is 760-332-8724. One more time, 760-332-8724. And now we'll go on a little break. About to be recycled. And welcome back to the program, ladies and gentlemen. I'm live right now with Mr. Mike Rogers. Welcome back. Yes, thank you. Glad to be here. Yes, it's been a very fun evening so far. And, of course, for those who are just joining in, we basically talked about the whole Travis Walton experience. Right, Mike? Yeah, we have. Covered it pretty good. Yeah, we went over the ins and outs, and I think it's time to switch gears here just a little bit. I know you wanted to talk a little bit about the Phoenix Lights incident. Yeah, that's actually a pretty big thing in my life. It's it's far more recent, but uh, I've discovered some very astounding things about it, uh, things that are proven and they're absolute and and they're kind of unbelievable. And A lot of people aren't going to want to hear it, but it's, it's the truth, and I've got to say it like it is. Right. And, of course, are you open to take phone calls, Mike? Yeah. I'd like to kind of get this started first and say what it is we're talking about. But after that, sure. Okay, perfect. Go ahead, Mike. And, of course, you are taking us back to the year 1997 when these amazing lights in the sky seem to manifest out of nowhere. Yeah. Well, uh it's not really all that amazing to me that it happened. It's not like I have to be available for everything. I only had these these two things happen to me, uh, but and and they're they weren't synchronicity and they they weren't coincidence. Oops, am I still here? Yeah, we're good. Hello, yo. Okay, I'm here. I just heard a bunch of beeping there, and I thought maybe we were cut off. Anyway, um, in 1997, I was that particular night. I was. On my way to Phoenix, I went by Chino Valley to uh, talk to a friend who I couldn't find who in the home. So I went up on top of a hill there, not a mountaintop, but, uh, and I was going to, you know, looking at the uh, Hale-Bopp Comet and taking some video, trying to take video, but wasn't working. While I was there, you know, I saw these lights come up basically from the surface, not in the air, like flying over. And uh, this thing didn't come directly over me. It was kind of went, went east of where I was, but. Uh, I could see, I, I was immediately aware that it was being carried by the wind because the direction it was heading, the wind was blowing on the back of my neck. Uh, and that let me know that it was, uh, at least gave me a good indication that it was being carried by the wind. And I watched it until it almost disappeared, but, uh, I could see structure. And, and they say that's a, like a contrast effect. At least the skeptics say it was a contrast effect. You believe things exist between points of light. That, aren't really there, but I've also studied an awful lot of uh, illusions. I'm, I've, I've been become a student of illusions. Um, at first, I wanted to know if uh, what happened to us in 1975 was was any part of illusion, if there was any illusion of any kind connected to it. And uh, my study went from there. I actually went to the point where I couldn't find things in print. I, I looked and looked. I couldn't find anything in print for most everything. So I pretty much just had to explore it on my own. And from that point, I've grown, it's grown and grown and grown to where I, I really know, know a lot, of, an awful lot about what I call natural illusion, difference between man-made illusion and, and natural illusion. And, uh, without going through all that, going right here to the, the chase, you know, the huge ominous object of the first event 
was not piloted by extraterrestrials, and it was not a formation of high-flying airplanes. Well, that's going to be something that's going to be hard for people to believe, and there's a nonsense. You know, we know what we saw, but... Uh, oh, yes. You're not going to be um, winning people over with this one. No, I'm not. In fact, I don't believe in it because the trouble of it is that believers as such want it to be piloted by ETs, you know. But the skeptics, okay, uh, like uh, Tony Ortega, for instance, he, he wrote a big uh, debunking piece about it. And not once did he ever mention the fact that, that the wind was right there. Uh the fact is, the wind was blowing in exactly the same direction, and it was a, an intricate path. It was curving left, tur- curving right, and then slowly curving left across central Arizona. And that path now lays right on top. If you take that path of the wind and you put it right over the top of either one of the skeptics' admittance of the path or the the uh, what you might call the accumulation of the witnesses, you know, uh, Peter Davenport of the National UFO Reporting Center uh, put a map together. It's 20 years old now, but it uh, gives you the core root of, of the objects. It had, he had included a few other things. People, you know, he pretty much reports what people tell him. Uh, but uh, that core path, which is basically from north of Prescott to northwest Phoenix to south Phoenix, to Casa Grande and beyond is, is what everybody said. It was testified by hundreds, thousands of people, actually. And Tony Ortega gives you that exact same path for the route of his airplane, supposedly. It's the same path. And when you take the path of the wind, which you, which is, exists on a number of documents, both from, uh, you know, NOAA and the National Weather Service, it's right on top. It's identical. And I don't see any way in the world that could be the truth. Uh, and it's a fact because you can't deny the path of the object. You can't deny the path of the wind. Uh, and they say something. They say something big. They say that whatever it was was carried on the wind. So I don't know any other way to look at it. And I don't, I won't take it beyond that too much, but it suggests that the object was man-made. It suggests that it was made by somebody who had an awful lot of money to do it. Because the thing was a, a, a third of a mile wide. Yeah, this was a and pretty so, big object. Yes, it was a large object. It wasn't as big as some people said. But the people north of Prescott, for instance, said that it was the size of a, of a 747, which is considerably smaller than it really was. And I have a concept about that, too. But, um, you know, it's what I come to, to call virtual perception, uh, when somebody sees something a distance away and it's, unbelievably large like that was, their mind perceives it as something of normal size. In this case, a lot of people thought it was like a, a big black V-2 bomber, which is nearly the size of a 747. And uh, when that happens, it suddenly becomes 12 times closer. You know, a V-2 bomber is 12 times smaller than, the, than that object was. And so in the process, it becomes 12 times smaller, which puts it right out in front of you. <laughs> it looks that way. I have some graphics that I sent to you. I don't think you displayed them, but it'd be almost necessary to look at that to, to visualize what I'm talking about. They're on the website, actually. Are they? Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one that shows the shows the, uh, the whole area and the uh, objects and then the lines going down towards uh, uh, Boulder City and uh, Henderson. I'm, pu- there. I'm actually putting that one up right now. Okay. Well, what the people saw was, you know, over 100 miles away. And uh, 
but they perceived it as being right in front of them because it was perceived as being one-twelfth the size of the thing that they were actually looking at. And the strange thing is, is that most people thought it was moving very, very fast, blinding speed. And actually, if you take the times involved that people have given, that it works out to somewhere between 500 and 1,200 miles per hour. And in the valley, people saw it much, much closer, but they perceived it as being incredibly slow. Most people thought it was hovering until they realized it was covering ground a little too fast to be hovering. So they kind of adjusted their thinking. It was actually on the wind. The wind that night, and I've, I've, I've gone through this and found all this and everything. I can only say it over the air without showing it, but uh, over the mountains, it was it was it was up around fifteen thousand feet for a while, and then it because of the incline of the natural terrain and and possibly the fact that it was uh, being shot at by the air force, which is also a very real possibility, uh, it was losing buoyancy and it uh, started lowering an, an elevation quite rapidly. It went from fifteen thousand feet down to about ten thousand feet over Phoenix. By the time it got to South Phoenix and beyond, it was down to about 8,000. By the time it, its lights went out and, and it, they thought it disappeared, it was down to around 7,000 feet. And, of course, the ground in Phoenix in there was, is about 1,500 feet in elevation. So it was, you know, pretty close to them. And, and they have every right to think that it was because it was. Uh, but it wasn't what they thought it was. It, it had to be man-made. I can't in any, any way perceive it being extraterrestrial, being carried on the wind. That's interesting that you say that. I've never heard anyone be uh, as skeptical as you, given the fact that you've had this, uh, you've had an incident yourself. Well, I'm no skeptic. I really am not. I'm I'm a believer, but I happen to be a realist at the same time because I always was. I had something incredible happen to me in 1975, and, of course, I believe it in... (laughs) In every way, but right, right. I never quit being a realist, and so you know, I've I've kept being a, a believer because you know, skepticism is basically a good thing, but it just skepticism too easily denies possibility. Believing by its very nature is positive. Skepticism by its very nature is somewhat negativism, not entirely, but just leans that way. Uh, so I'm in between, but more of a believer. Yeah, I understand. I'm with fact, you on that. In fact, I'm a, I'm a stark believer, but I'm still a realist. So it's really kind of a contrast. I can respect that. I've had my own unusual sightings, and even even now, I'm, I'm still quite skeptical if what I saw was real or not. And, of course, I've had other strange things happen, and for sure those things did happen, but I have no way of explaining them. Yeah. And that's all well, I can I really say. Well, I have to be say. lucky enough that I had six guys with me in 1975, and I have them to play off of, and they had never changed anything. Everything was solid, real. You know, nothing's changed. Uh, everybody saw the same thing. Right. And, everybody and Mike, passed lie detector tests. You know? Right. And, and what do you have to say for the skeptics out there, uh, since there's been so many uh, after this case since the beginning, the, the lack of evidence is what many of the skeptics point out. You know, that's something they always go after. And and they bring up Travis and, and they'll say, Well, he didn't he didn't have any signs of trauma. You know, that's one of the things the skeptics bring up when you talk about He didn't about have any signs case. of trauma. Yeah, that that's what And they're just they're just making things up because he was extremely traumatized. Um, extremely. 
Right. And the doctors and everybody that examined him at that time attested to that. So I don't know where they're coming up to that. Understood, uh, understood. Not be making it up because that came out of thin air. And by the way, on a positive note, the photo is uploaded now, by the way. So if you okay. hit, yeah, if you hit refresh on your page, it's on there for those okay. out there. And that's the, the map of uh, Henderson and Phoenix and Tucson yeah. giving that direction there. Yeah. Very interesting. I've, I've uh, never really heard anyone talk about this. Yeah, well, nobody has, and that's the thing that gets me. You know, you're just talking about the skeptics, and they're coming up with something I didn't hear here before. Well, I haven't right. heard of it before, but it's just not true, and uh, I don't know where they would even get that. I don't know why they would say that. It's the, but, uh, you know, we're I have here. a big bone to pick with right. skeptics. In fact, uh, Tony Ortega, I call him a debunker because I don't, I don't even know if he's a skeptic. He's a debunker, and I, we discovered that Phil Class was a government, not employee, but he was somehow he was involved with the government, and the government was kind of, you know, giving him his marching orders. And later on in life, you know, when he was getting close to dying, I talked to him more amiably, and and he almost admitted to that. He didn't say it, but we found proof otherwise. And uh, and very things that you can't deny. Uh, he is so very closely tied to, to the U.S. government. Which means that the debunking wasn't really debunking. It was more or less of a propaganda. He, he was a propagandist. And what they were trying to get people to do with their propaganda, with their debunking, and that's what I think about Tony Ortega, too. I've never met the man. He's a good guy. He's very intelligent, obviously. But <laughs> yes, it's his piece that he wrote, his debunking piece about the Phoenix Light, looks exactly like something to make believers believe, not disbelieve. Because it's just completely strewn with, with bias. You know, he, he takes the word of one person over thousands. And if you just go by the odds, the odds have it. But yet he thought that he, he was putting everybody down. He was, he threw everything away as far as observers were concerned, except for one, the one that had a different idea. And he was a 10 year old boy and he, and he couldn't even identify the I, the objects without looking through a telescope, a big telescope, 10-inch telescope he had in his yard. And, and you know, when you look at Tony's or, or piece and, and look at the whole thing the way it is, well, I can tell you right now, I've talked to a lot of believers, and they say that, that, was, that, that was a still steaming pile, you know. Uh, <laughs> and that's what I see, too, and yes. I don't know why, because born on the wind, this object being born on the wind is so obvious, so absolutely obvious. He couldn't have missed it. He could not have missed it. And his, his debunking piece is so riddled with bias, it's as though he was trying to get people to not believe what he was saying. He's saying it, but not wanting people to believe it, like like propaganda. <laughs> right. And I don't know the absolute truth of that, but it certainly looks that way. Understood. And, Mike, to make things perfectly clear for those out there listening in just now, you are talking about the Phoenix Lights incident, and you are conveying that this was indeed one of our own. It was not extraterrestrial, correct? Right. And now you say one of our own. I don't know what it was. Okay? okay, okay. I just know, I kind of know what it wasn't. It wasn't piloted by extraterrestrials, but it also wasn't a formation of high-flying airplanes. It had to be man-made, but I don't believe uh, the Air Force or Skunk Works or anything came up with something a third of a mile wide. Right. I tend to believe, you know, that it was man-made in terms of, of uh, fabricated out of very cheap, lightweight material 
and lifted with with some lighter than air gas, helium or hydrogen or something. That's that's what I tend to believe. Tend to believe. I don't one hundred percent believe it. Nineteen seventy five, I believe one hundred percent. That's what I'm saying just looks very much this way. Understood. And and that's fair. I definitely think you bring up some valid points. And of course I've heard other people debunk this, of course. And there there are two separate incidents that happened that night. Uh, one that yeah, they're very separate. Very separate incidents, but both man-made. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Some people are not going to be happy with that. Well, a lot of people aren't. But the 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 flares of the of the second event they call it were over 70 miles away. They thought they were right there in front of at first in front of South Mountain, and then they thought they were in front of uh, the Australia Mountains. They're actually way behind the Australia Mountains, and the Air Force came forth later and and said that that's what they were. They were flares. They had deployed them, and uh, it's something they did commonly, and it was seen from Phoenix area, but always in the same direction, always the same kind of height above the ground. And uh, but believers, which was prompted by people I don't think even believed it, they just used it as a promotional gimmick uh, to make you know make money off. You know, believers. Understood. And believers, uh-huh. yeah, they they kind of went along with that uh, because believers, even though I don't believe they're credulous like the skeptics say they are, uh, they still are adventurous. You know, right. And uh, they uh, they they believe what these people would tell them, and uh, I call them the gurus of the believers. <laughs> I don't know a better term for them, but they say that the second event lights were not flares and they have all kinds of proofs for it and stuff, but they have a lot of people say different, but nevertheless, what the air force is saying means that they were so far away. They could have been, they could have been, you know, the, the, the believers say, or these people who claim to be believers say that the flares have uh, smoke trails and, and downward drift or, or drift and that these lights of the second event didn't have that. But if you look at lights, you know, 70 miles away, the flare is 70 miles away, you can't see smoke trails. You can't see downward drift. It, they look perfectly fine. In fact, illumination flares have a big parachute, and they, they kind of stay in the air a lot. They stay relative to a solid position uh, due to the, the hot air balloon effect, their own heat under their own big chutes. And then they start drifting down more as, as their flares start to go out. And, you know, all the videos taken of the second event, which were several, more than people know about. Actually, on fast forward, if you run them on fast forward, they show a, a downward motion to the to those lights at the very end of the incident. And uh, you, can't, you can't help but see that they obviously disappeared behind the mountain. They didn't go out. They disappeared behind the mountain as they dropped down. And uh, that's the second event. I, I didn't really see the second event. I came close to seeing it because when this happened to me up near Prescott, uh, seeing what I saw, I got in my truck and took off and tried to chase it. I couldn't catch up with it, but uh, I got close enough to the valley. When I did get down close to the valley, I could see it as it went over South Mountain. But I, I never caught up to it. Uh, but I, I also didn't see the second event, you know, the lights of the second event. Right. But, you know, I know about it. And uh, and I, I believe thoroughly that it was what the Air Force says. Understood. And, Mike, I, I, I'm always curious for those who had some sort of incident they see or they've seen 
or they've been abducted, you know, that sort of thing. I'm curious, after this happened to you, Mike, did this further um, interest you at all to do any research into other cases out there aside from your experience? Because for some I've people, I've done a lot of research. Because for some people, I become I become that. Uh, you know, right. My own incident put me on that path, and and uh, the Phoenix Lights uh, solidified it. And for the last, mm-hmm. you know, 21 years since the Phoenix Lights, I've I've been uh, totally involved <laughs> in the entire subject. But it's again as a realist. Right, right. And I respect you for that, by the way, for having those sort of opinions. Lots of people, of course, will not like that you have those sort of opinions, but that's a good, healthy sort of thing people need. Well, I think everybody needs to be skeptical in that sense, even though I've already said that skepticism uh, kind of denies possibility. Uh, it only does that in a way, you know. Skepticism basically a good thing if, if you do it, if you temper it with logic, you know. And yeah. everything to me has to be unbiased. Bias is is a, is one of the my pet peeves. Yes, bias is absurd. You know, I I just can't say enough about that. Yes, lots of people uh, out there they are definitely victims of confirmation biasness as well. Uh, some, I believe, uh, believe someone wants to jump in here. Oh, well, I can take phone calls if you want. If that's what you're talking about. Yeah, I believe. Yeah, let, let's bring them in. They wanted to ask you a question. I the believe. Deacon. Oh, there you are, Eric. Did you did you have a question for Mister Mike Rogers here? Unfortunately, I, I was having I don't know why, but I, I wasn't really able to hear the broadcast, so I wasn't hear sure. If you, are you still interviewing Mister Rogers? I'm sorry, I apologize. Yeah, he's right here, live and direct, Mister <laughs> Mister Rogers. Can you can you hear Eric? Yeah, uh, there was a kind of Mr. a Mr. Rogers sounds like he's there, in three countries right away. Can you, can you guys hear me? I, I can hear you. I hear you, but I do not hear Mr. Rogers. That's a shame. Oh, no. Can you hear Mr. Can Rogers? Can you hear me? I, I could hear both of you loud and clear. Oh, what a bummer. I mean, I hear you, but I do not hear Mr. Rogers. Oh, no, so but you can't hear him. Yeah, you know what? You should call in on the okay. phone number. All right. Is that, where, is that number posted on... Uh, where can I find that? Oh, that number is 760-332-8724. I should have given that number out. <laughs> yeah. Put it on goodness. Twitter or something, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you guys a few minutes, and I'll call I'll call back. Yeah, it's on the website, actually. Oh, it's on the website. Okay, I'll go there right, and find yeah, it. Yeah, right-hand side. Back. Go ahead. Right on, brother. Bye-bye. Right, bye-bye. Yeah, I could hear him right there, but uh, for a while there, I couldn't. Yeah, that's weird. You should have been able to hear him. It, sometimes it's a... A computer issue, but if he calls in that number, uh, it'll work, and and we'll get this thing running here. But yeah, um, I I always really like people that do hold some skepticism, and they don't just jump in there blindly all the time. I I, I don't really like people who. Well, I shouldn't say I don't like. I, I should say I I dislike those who sort of really go on these wild goose chases. I should say. Yeah. And it can happen either way. You know, uh, the skeptics basically say the believers are credulous, (laughs) too easily believe. But my point of view is, and I I agree that a a lot of believers are credulous, but I can't think of anybody any more credulous than skeptics who believe everything that debunkers tell them. (laughs) Yeah, that's the issue. I can't can't 
That's I, the conundrum. Yep, I have a lot of skeptical friends, by the way, that don't believe what the debunkers say. Even as as biased as Tony Ortega is, is terribly super biased. And if you read his writing, you know that. But you know they eat it, and uh, that sounds to me like skeptic. That sounds to me like credulity. You know, I don't know what else to say. I'm just trying to be honest. No, and I respect you for that. It's a very, very valid point to bring up. And before we were interrupted there, I, I was going to say that the the reason why I brought up the the uh, the interest question is because some individuals out there, once this sort of thing happens to them, they they sort of check out. They don't really want to get involved any further in, into the subject matter. Yeah, it's different for everyone, <laughs> but an open-minded realist. I accept what has happened to me. I had the support of several other people to help me with that, but, uh, you know, and I know what I saw with the Phoenix Lights, and I know I can say honestly what I thought it was and what it, what it, what it, what it wasn't. And uh, I immediately noticed that it was carried on the wind. That was so obvious to me. Uh, I saw it a pretty close range, but it, you know, it's, you know, the, I could tell which way the wind was blowing, blowing the back of my neck while I'm looking at this thing going away towards the south. And I put two to two together and, and, uh, and I, I've done right. this stuff very in depth in, in the, in the last several years, in the last 42 years since 1990, 1975, I've learned certain things. I have a kind of a observer's kit, you might say. Uh, yes. A video camera, a snapshot camera, and the, uh, uh, you know, good high quality. Right, and Mike, yeah. one one second here, uh, caller, are you, are you alive there? Okay, I'm alive. It's oh, alive. There you, you are. Hear me? <laughs> yeah, I, I can, can hear, hear, I can hear the gentleman speaking now. Okay, now he could hear you, Eric. Beautiful. No, I, I wish I had been able to, for whatever reason, when I tuned in to tune in, it, it wasn't playing correctly. And anyway, I, I just when I'm very interested in the topic. I did. I don't know if you've had a chance to ask him what was it about these subjects that created a passion that for him. I mean, did you guys go over that already? Because I'm curious. Right. Yeah, that's what we're talking about right now. Is that? Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I talked to different guests here that have had these experiences, and lots of them they sort of don't want to further examine what happened to them or have an interest in the subject. Whatsoever, but for Mike, he definitely was one that became even more curious, right, Mike? You bet. I've, I've become an investigator. In fact, I became one of the Phoenix Lights, you know, after seeing it in the days that followed. I, I talked to a lot of people. Uh, I didn't tell them that I had seen it, but I talked to a lot of people because, you know, at the time I was still combating you know, the debunkers, you know, like Phil Class. And uh, if I would have said anything back then about seeing the Phoenix Lights, they would they would have used it. I mean, they, it would have become all new accusations for them, just something more. You know, oh, you saw the Phoenix Lights too? Well, <laughs> they're both in central. They're both happen in central Arizona. <laughs> they're right where they are. You know, so that's not not odd. But uh, I've become an investigator, and I, I still am. And and uh, I've really gone into it. I mean, very very much so. Well, it's interesting. I, I have actually become an investigator myself based on some sightings that I saw in Pismo Beach, California about two years ago. 
and then I had some sightings in Joshua Tree uh, two, a year and a half ago, and then I saw a 40-foot uh, chrome, whether it was a spaceship or an orb, I couldn't tell you, but it was round in the Mojave Desert about four months ago, 120 yards in the sky at 6 o'clock. It was still light out. So, no, uh, yeah, it's a passion. I, I can totally relate. I, what, what are you seeing? Are you seeing anything currently? Are you out there looking and finding things, anything you can share? I'm curious, in the Arizona area. Uh, I had an experience when I was logging up in uh, Utah, southern Utah, uh, and I've been told that was a fireball, but, you know, it was moving way, way slower than to be a fireball because it lasted uh, five five minutes or longer. But uh, basically, that's it. I mean, and, of course, I, I'm, I'm somewhat of a skeptic. I should say, even though I'm a believer, I have a skeptical view of the Phoenix Lights. Um, and I'm just trying to be honest about it. Right. But it's all because of the yeah. investigation. Yeah. Understood. And definitely respect all of that. Um, Mike, I'm curious, your father, did he have any experiences of his own? Did he ever see any strange lights in the sky? He never did, but my grandfather, his father did. Ah, there we go. My grandfather, when, when he, when he was, uh, we're talking about back now, right after the 1900s began, he was a mason. He was working on a, a building and he just got a funny feeling. He looked up and he, he saw this, this silver ball way up in the sky. This was back before weather balloons or anything like that. And uh, he just stayed there, and he just stayed there for a long time. He kept looking at it. Um, that's the only experience he ever had. But it was very strange to him, and it's very strange to hear about. And it helped make him realize that there can be things, you know, that you can't understand. Right. And he didn't even call it a UFO. He just said it was a, a big silver ball or, or, or something like that. Yeah. And uh it stayed up there a long time. Yeah, that was the best way he could describe it. Yeah. Very nice, very nice. Yeah. Do you ever uh, travel things outside have changed. Arizona? We were talking about that earlier, how things have changed. Uh, things have they changed. They have really changed. Oh, my goodness. Go ahead, Eric. No, I'm wondering, do you get a chance to travel outside Arizona? For example, Trout Lake, Washington, there's the East City Ranch, and I can pretty much guarantee you if you came out there, you're going to see some things. That you, if you want to see something for sure, that's the place to go. I can I can 100% vouch for that because I've, I've had my sightings there recently. That's wild stuff. Uh, th- there's all sorts of weird things that happen out in Arizona and New Mexico. It's like a hotbed. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're all over the place. You know, people don't are not going to want to believe, uh, you know, this thing that I'm presenting, you know, about being born on the wind. But uh, I think some people will go ahead and, along with it because, a lot of believers are not necessarily steadfast in, in their seemingly solid beliefs. They hold things in, in a state of quandary, a lot of them. And, uh, you know, they, people don't necessarily have to have the Phoenix Lights be extraterrestrial because there's an awful lot going on. You, you're talking about thing other, other places and other things. There's a, a tremendous amount of things going on in this world right now, all over the, all over the globe, fantastic things. And I don't know what they are. I don't well, know what's going on. I just know what I've experienced, but I do know that's I can going make on one, everywhere. Uh, parting comment, and and then I can hang up. But here is my take on the Phoenix Lights. Uh, it's very prob- it's very plausible. First of all, I do believe we have a secret space program, so I, uh, it's plausible that what flew over Phoenix was not ET, but it was one of ours, and that's plausible. But I don't think yeah, we would be plausible. building craft like that. If, if they weren't concerned and, and, and having a space force, a corporation formed in our United States government, if they weren't concerned 
that there was other things flying in the sky that, that are not being driven by humans. Mm-hmm. Well, that's perfectly yeah. viable. <laughs> My goodness. Yep. And I, I, I agree. Good points on both sides here. Um, Eric, any, any, any other questions before I let you go here? No, it was, it was good talking to you again, Michael. I'm glad I was able to get on, tune into your show. So I'll just hang up and listen to the rest on the radio. Understood, understood. Talk. Thank you so much for calling in, my friend. All right, buddy. Take Bye-bye. care. And there he goes, and that number is 760-332-8724. If you feel compelled enough to call in, go ahead. Right now is a perfect time to do so. So, Mike, going back to the year 1997, what a tremendous year it was for those in ufology. You had all sorts of things going on. Uh, you had the X-Files and you had the Phoenix Lights incident go on. And, of course, just 13 days after the Phoenix Lights incident, that's when the Heaven's Gate coat, uh, they went to action. Yeah. My God. Yeah. Do you remember where you were? That was quite something. Yes. Do you recall any of that? What's that? Do you recall any of that stuff going on? Oh, I remember seeing and hearing things on the news, yeah. Wow. Out here in my neck of the woods uh, in San Diego, not very far from where I am, and that's such a nice neighborhood, by the way, right where this mass suicide took place. Oh, yeah. Wasn't the leader of that, his name was Apple or something right. like that? Marshall Applewhite. Yeah. My yeah, God. Yeah, that, was, that wasn't as big as the incident down in South America with uh, Jim Jones's group. Yeah, Jim Jones. was 900 and some people. But, yeah, that kind of thing is disturbing, very disturbing. It, it truly is. It, it truly is. And for those who are not up to speed or do not recall anything, we're t- what we're talking about here, of course, that's the Heaven's Gate uh, cult they all believed they would ascend to unite with extraterrestrials uh, alongside the comet Hellbop. Yeah. 1997, what a hell year. way out by that time, but, but they thought they were going to catch a ride on its tail or something like that. That could have been a, you know, media hype, but that's what I heard. That's what I heard myself, and I definitely still want the discontinued uh, Nike shoes that they all had on. Those Nike decades, they were called. Wow. My God, they discontinued them. I really do wish Nike would bring them back. They would make lots of money. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know what to say about that. (laughs) I know, I, I know. It's very awful. But here we are talking about these incredible things, and that leads me to ask you, Mike, what what exactly is your opinion on the afterlife? I don't think I've ever heard you talk about that sort of thing. Well, I'm a realist, but I don't, I'm not a, a disbeliever. You know, I, I was born a Mormon. You were, I sort of became like Travis. So, you know, I you got, were born I, a Mormon. I didn't know that. Yeah. And uh, I don't go to church or anything anymore, but uh, I was born in, but, and I kind of lean that way, but it's not a strong leaning. I, I, I'm kind of an agnostic. Uh, I'm not an atheist. I'm not a good Mormon. I'm a good person. I try to be. But uh, I'm not steadfast in, in a religious belief of any kind. Understood. But I'm not an atheist. Yeah. I actually, if I would have to box myself in, and I hate to do this, but I would sort of consider myself an agnostic atheist. An agnostic atheist. Right. 
I've never heard that term before. It's a good little mix. It's a a good little mix. It just means I I keep Jesus in my back pocket. Yeah. You never know. Well, that's what I do. Yeah. You never know. And I respect all the religions out there, by the way. I I think they are all good in a sense. They all bring you back to uh, God, which is not exactly a negative thing. It's once when man corrupts the, the words. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like believers and skeptics in a way. A lot of skeptics are atheists, actually. Uh, and, and I think more believers are, are religious, but I don't know how you'd equate that exactly. I just know that believers, by their very nature, is positivism, and believers are good people and they're, they're adventurous people. Right. Uh, skeptics, on the other hand, well, they can be adventurous, but it just seems that they're a little more negative, basically. Not all of them. It's just kind of a an over, you know, it runs through it. Yeah, a lot of angry people and, uh, out there. Say that again? A lot of angry people out there, too. Oh, yeah. And angry believers and angry skeptics. And oh, yes. People who don't care about being a believer or a skeptic. Uh, and there's a lot of those as well. Uh, the whole, uh, people are all different. Oh yeah, all sorts Everybody's of walks. Different. Yeah, all the walks of life out there. It's it's astonishing. There's so many different types of individuals out there, and you never know what someone's thinking either. Man is very wild, still, in my opinion. Oh, he is wild. <laughs> wild news. My God, I mean, yes. it is really bad. You know, what I personally believe about all that is the word bias. Bias thinking, in other words, wishful thinking. People make a living these days too easily. And because of that, they're not critical of their surroundings. They're not critical of the world. And even though criticalness is skepticism, basically, uh, people need to see the reality the way it really is. You see, I call immense bias IQ neutralized. I even have a little formula. It's just make-believe. But it's a 160 IQ times bias equals IQ 106. <laughs> I like that. Uh, bias really does impair your ability to think straight. And people today seem to be this, the, the biased thinking seems to be welling up, yes. welling up. And I think that's what the core root of most of this, this is going on. Yeah, most of society, people, they are oblivious to lots of yeah. things going on, and lots of them lack common sense as well. Very astonishing. Well, that's why that's why I call biased thinking IQ neutralizes because it is is relaxing objectivity terribly, uh, critical thinking, you know, common sense uh, just seemed to go away with biased thinking. Indeed. And one of the things that I thought about during the break, uh, briefly, once you mentioned um, how you discovered this program, you mentioned Coast to Coast AM, and now I remember the first time I heard you, and that was when you were on Dreamland with Art and uh, Travis. Yeah, that was a long time ago. Oh, yeah, very, very long time ago. And that was the very first time I heard you talk. Yeah. Great. That, that wild, was a long time ago. That, was, that would have been about 40, 30, 39, 40 years ago, I think. My God. <laughs> That's crazy. Half a lifetime. <laughs> That's insane. But, yeah, that the whole story... It's 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 one that's been with me for for a long time, Mike. So I'm so glad you were able to spend time with myself and all the listeners out there. I thank you for that. Oh yes. That's the first time I've talked about 
what I think about the Phoenix Lights, and I've written a piece about it. Uh, I guess somebody could contact me if they want. I, I could, for free, I could give them a, a, uh, an email, you know, would have it all, all in there, all, all the illustrations and everything. But right now there's no book or anything like that, so that's the only way they could get it. They could give it on your website, depending on what, how much you put up there. But there's not right. a lot to the Phoenix Lights, and I really got into, into it and uh, really discovered a lot of things that are very astounding. Understood. And we are coming up to the end of the interview here, but I, I do want to quickly ask you if there are any other classic UFO cases that you can think of off the top of your head that you I believe are credible, Mike? Uh, there are several, but in order to talk about them, I'd have to kind of take more time than we have here. Understood, uh, understood. There are a number that are, are credible. Uh, that's basically it. Yeah, I'll just throw one out Not there. Not one any more than the other, but mm-hmm. there are several. What do you think about Betty and Barney Hill, the, the classic case out there that everyone's heard of? Uh, do you think that's, do you think that happened? I don't know. That's one of those that's kind of in between. I don't know what to think of it. I can tell you this. Mm-hmm. I met Barney, uh, Betty Hill my, myself at one time when I was back in Connecticut and, uh, she went on about having a Bigfoot in her yard. That kind of set me off, hmm. you know, kind of in the wrong direction, but Bigfoot. <laughs> you know, I don't know. That's odd. Maybe Bigfoot does those kind of things. I really just don't know, but it just seemed to kind of put it in a bad light. Right, right. And man, you mentioned Bigfoot. That's one thing that I, I have a very hard time uh, buying. Yeah, I do too. It's one of those things that doesn't seem all uh, that real to me. It's sort of hard to I'm sell that one. That it's, it's yeah. Definitely, you know, bad, but uh, just it seems to me that it's uh, make-believe. Right. I'm not married to any one notion. I'm always eligible to change my perspective on anything. But Bigfoot, oh, that, on Bigfoot, you know, that's one that I could uh, sort of rule out very slightly. Yeah, yeah slightly. Yeah, slightly. You know, the truth is, I don't know anything. <laughs> I'm not even cert- certain if I'm actually alive. Uh, the more you get into things, the more you realize... How much you don't know. That's right. This could all be a figment of our imaginations. It could be. You never it's know. It very well could be. You never know. It's it's very true. It's very true. And, Mike, I, I just want to thank you tremendously for being a part of the program. I'm so glad you were able to reach out to me. Uh, I, I just i am flattered that you wanted to be a part of all of this. It's been a fantastic time, and I'm honored to have you on board. Uh, go ahead and... Give out your email if you if you feel you can. You could do that now. Okay. Uh, you actually know you have it there. I I can't. I, I'm not looking at it at the moment. It's a uh, uh, one Heston as in Charlton Heston. One Heston one. Um, and then I can't remember what after that. But, oh, it, you know, it's dot, 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 yeah. It's one two three five at gmail dot com. Oh yeah, one two three five. One Heston one one two three five dot com. There you go, folks. And, of course, I'll also put your email up on the website so people can reach you that way, too. Yeah. I will email what I have, and there's a lot of illustrations, uh, I think 19 or 20 of them. There's quite a bit, but I can email that out for free. Yes, no doubt. At least for a while. I don't know how long I can do that, but I can do that much. Yeah. So, Mike, once again, thank you so much for being a part of the program, and 
I'll definitely get in touch with you again, and I'll bring you back on here in the future. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you very much. All right, Mike. Take care, and God bless. You bet. You too. All right. Bye-bye. And there he goes, ladies and gentlemen. That was amazing. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Mr. Mike Rogers there. Incredible, really. I am just dumbfounded by the whole thing. That was incredible. And in a moment, after this break, I'll wrap up the program here. Stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. I actually commended him when we, we spoke personally. And I told him, I said, good for you, you know, standing up for your rights. Because as you said, uh, the freedom of speech is being taken away. And welcome back to the program, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for still being here with me tonight. I hope all of you enjoyed the music. And joining me now is one more soul. Vanessa, are you alive? Hi there. Hello, and welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for uh, being here with me tonight under pale moonlight. Ooh, romantic. I know, right? It, it really is a romantic night. It's it's obviously not such a hot night out here where I am. Very humid, um, but not, not as hot as it usually is. It's, it's starting to finally cool down out here in the desert. Yeah. Well, it's September now. I know, thank God. Yeah, finally. September 1st. Second, where I'm where at. Did, where did the time go? Well, I mean, right? It I can't even believe it. one year ago. <laughs> I can't even believe we're in September already. <laughs> this year just went by so fast. It really did. Holy hell. And for those new in attendance and never heard of me before, my name is Michael, and I am the host and producer of this very unique and incredible program. And right now what you are listening to is the final stretch of the program where we usually let our hair down and go into all sorts of different things. And I do certainly appreciate all of you out there still being here with me tonight. I love seeing all those pretty faces out there and even the ugly ones. We are all one. Yes. We love the ugly ones, too. We we really do. We really do. (laughs) And, of course, welcome back to... Those out there who were already listening since the beginning, the first guest tonight was Mr. Mike Rogers. And did you listen to that? Yes, I did. I was impressed. Did you like that story? Yes, I did. I very, I, I, I saw that movie recently. Oh my goodness. Did you like the film? I actually did. I, but I knew that like it was, um, changed. The story was changed a little it bit. Was, like, you know. Yeah. yeah. But I like it. But did you, did you believe it though? Um, yeah, because it's a lot of people. So you're in, you're all in with the story. I am because it was, it was a time before the internet where people were trying to become famous before YouTube. Word, word. (laughs) Yeah. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. It's just, you know, it's one of those things I'm still very skeptical about everything. But that case right there is one where I sort of lean towards perhaps it really did happen. Yeah. Well, if you believe one, there's, you know, there's, there's hope for you yet. You never know. And, of course, lots of people have their opinion on Travis Walton and, of course, if his story is true or not. Very, very good. He's a hustler. I'll tell you that. He's a hustler, you think? Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, he he knows, I mean, his whole life, I mean, he's lucky this happened to him if it did happen to him. (laughs) Right. And, of course... That's what's so great about this program, that this is an open platform for all walks of life, for everyone and their mama. 
Um, that number is 760-332-8724. Or on Skype, end of days, Mike. And that's Mike with the letter Y and not an I. Come on down. Don't be scared. Call in now if you want. Ooh, join us. We don't bite. Too hard. Well, Michael does. I bite. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I usually leave a scar. And for those that don't know, I took last week off, and I felt it was a little bit uh, appropriate to rest up a bit. And in my downtime, I was able to get every single goddamn episode of the program on iTunes and Google Play. And that was not fun. That, That was not a fun task, ladies and gentlemen. It was actually pretty awful. It made me realize I've been doing the show for quite some time now. Isn't that crazy, Vanessa? Yes. I mean, what, two years, almost? It seems like it, just yeah. about. Mm-hmm. Where did the time go once again? Very strange. And uh, a few of those out there, if if you miss those shows, definitely go back and listen to it. I was completely surprised with some of the shows, with some of the guests. You impressed yourself. Not with me, but with them. Yeah. I, I got to listen back with a new pair of ears, as they say. Mm-hmm. It was pretty crazy. Some of the shows were really good. Yeah. I'm not saying them because of me, not my part. Just <laughs> the guest. Some of the guests, rather. Oh, I know which one you're talking about. <laughs> there's there's plenty of those shows out there. Yeah. And there's plenty of, of really good shows out there, too. Not just mine. Not just mine. And, by the way, Vanessa, I do want to thank you for being a part of the program here again. For those that don't know, that is the official Florida correspondent of the program. Yes, you are definitely 100% a part of the program. Aw, thank you. Well, I mean, you always knew that. That's not, you know. Well, you tell me privately. Well, of course. But you don't tell me, like, on the air. Well, I mean, this, you are a part of the program. Aw, thank you. I I talk so much about Florida. I mean, you have to be. It's only right. It's only appropriate, yes. Yes. And that brings me to... um. You know, before I even get into the Florida news with you, I wanted to bring up Mr. Alex Jones. Oh, great. I wanted you to talk about him. Did you really want me to go there? Because, you know, I can back out now. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm not, you know, I'm not ready to go down yet. No, <laughs> I'm ready. So here we are in the later rounds, and I'm not just backed into the ropes here blindly swinging. This may be the final stretch of the evening and and before we wrap up all this stuff here there's some several uh pieces of business to get into here before we close up shop Mm -hmm. and of course that is in regards to one alex jones he's had a very uh looking at a remarkable idea, an idea that has intrigued and attracted and literally thrilled thousands upon thousands of men, women, and children. And you, my friends, are about to witness this idea become a reality, for this is the story of the miracle sea in the desert. Practice you'll get good at, including BS. 
and welcome to a brand new life, to a brand new day, all the way from the wastelands of California. My name is Michael, and I look forward to once again serve you those sounds of salvation. First time listeners, turn on, tune in, and drop out. This is a very different kind of show, a place where you don't feel so alone. Let us chase away the light no matter what you at home choose to believe. I do admire you for your curiosity. Yeah, live and direct right now on the TuneIn Radio app. Search End of Days. You can also go to iTunes and Google Play or MichaelDeacon.com if you care to interact with me or other listeners like yourself. Now, in the year 1975, a group of bloggers are returning home to Snowflake, Arizona. They noticed bizarre glowing lights in the distance. Curiosity got the best of the group. They seemed for the source. And one, Travis Walton, gets out of the van and gets right up next to this object, only to be taken away. Mike Rogers is my guest tonight. He is a part of one of the most famous UFO cases in ufology. The story caught international buzz and the force in 1993. Fire in the Sky was released. It has become a classic story that I believe will continue to live on for years to come. Now, without further ado, let's bring in Mr. Mike Rogers. Yes. There we go. What's going on? I'm just sitting here waiting for you. Perfect. I'm glad you are ready and rigged for the program. I do want to welcome you to my side of the woods out here in California. You're out there in Arizona. So I kind of feel like we're very close by. Yeah, we're both in Arizona. Oh, yes. So, Mike, what's going on with you? How is life out there? That's pretty good. Uh, I'm 71 years old, so I'm slowing down a little. Other than that, it's all right. Oh, Mike, you're still sharp? I guess. I think you, <laughs> <Am> I? <laughs> I think you are. I mean, we talked and uh, before before doing this program way earlier, and I was actually quite surprised that you were even able to find the program. Uh, you, you mean uh, initially? Right, right. Yeah. Well, I heard it on uh, Coast to Coast. There was something on Coast to Coast about it. Really? Uh, yeah, I listened to that program like once a week or something, and and there was something on Coast to Coast about Michael Deacon's show. And uh, you happened to be mentioning the Phoenix Lights. That's kind of what got me onto it. You're saying that the Phoenix Lights aren't exactly what they're supposed to be. Uh, there's some problems there, something like that. I didn't hear all of it, but I caught that part of it. And so I looked it up on the computer, and that's how I found you. Wow. That is amazing. But, Mike, I, I'm curious about you and your story and how... All of these things began for you, and I thought we could go back to the roots of all these things, Mike, leading up to that night, back when you were 28 years old. Yeah. So before any of before any of these things happened in your life, Mike, were you ever at all interested in, let's say, science fiction uh, or extraterrestrials, for that matter? Well, I've all my life, even when I was younger, uh, I was. I was interested in science, uh, math. You know, I really wasn't too interested in uh, nonfiction. I, you know, I mean, I wasn't too interested in the fiction. I was, I was nonfiction. Uh, I liked electronics, uh, engineering, you know. And believe it or not, even though people think of me as a, a solid believing skeptic, you know, a true believer, I am a true believer, but I'm also a realist. Right. And uh, 
and I've been that way all my life. Uh, my dad and my grandfather kind of made me that way, I guess. It's in my blood. But uh, when when the UFO event happened to us in 1975, it was pretty much a shock. I mean, it's not something that the guys, my crew, didn't talk about. You know, every now and then they would bring up the subject. So it wasn't like it was entirely new to me. I thought about the possibility of something. But when that night happened, uh, it was very much a shock to me. I, it was a real eye-opener. My goodness. Yeah, I don't blame you for for feeling that way. And, of course, that's something I always wondered, by the way, Mike, how your parents took all all this in. Uh, they were kind of skeptical, but also <laughs> they believed me. They didn't think you but killed anyone then? Killed anyone? No. Yes. They didn't believe that at all. Uh, very few people did. That was pretty much uh, Sheriff Gillespie and, and that group, you know, especially as undersheriff. <laughs> So well, they were very these characters. They thought we'd kill Travis. Yeah. Yeah. So these characters in the film, that was an accurate uh, depiction of these characters. Would you say the depiction of the characters was accurate, but the way they did the story was a bit off. Yeah. And one thing I do want to mention to you, Mike, when you did initially contact me, I didn't exactly really add one and one together. I didn't exactly realize that it was. Michael Rogers emailing me. Um, huh. This story has been a part of my childhood for such a long time, Mike. And yes, I didn't want. Well, it's been uh, 42, 43 years. Right. Yep. Yeah. So you know, when I talked to you, I didn't really want to uh, freak out or, or act too crazy when I talked to you. Because well, I was, you didn't. <laughs> I was very excited <laughs> yeah, to talk level. to you. Yeah, man, I was very excited and couldn't believe I was actually talking to you. Yeah, I don't go out looking for attention. I'm not like that, but right, right. Uh, I tend to tend to not tell people who I am. Uh, I'm just not a boaster, I should say. I, I kind of like to be normal. Yeah, you know, there, there's so much to go over here with you tonight, and we're going to talk yeah. about your the incident a little bit more. And of course, we'll get into the Phoenix Lights uh, incident, of course, but. Yes, let, let's first get into the whole Travis Walton incident. Of course, you were just 28 years old when that went down, from my understanding. And, of course, yeah. the, the whole movie starts with you guys, um, a group of you guys inside of a truck, and it's kind of chaotic when you guys are driving there. Let, let's start from there. Well, that was very real. In the, the, in the movie, that was the closest to the way it really happened. All things, I'm... Travis's encounter and his his uh, personal experience was something they changed quite a bit. Uh, if you've ever read his book, uh, either one of them, they're both kind of the same thing, but they've had different titles. The first one was called The Walton Experience, and the second one was Fire in the Sky, taking the name of the, of the movie, basically. And uh, so his, his thing was changed, and he didn't like that too much, but he kind of had to go along with it, or there wouldn't have been a movie. And you have to understand where Hollywood's at. When it, when they start making a movie of, of a real thing, they pretty much have to change a good part of it so that they're not going to get sued <laughs> coming and going. <laughs> right, right, right. And, of course, they have to embellish a few things as well. They actually under-embellish things. <laughs> if you can see that, you know, it's a, they downplayed a whole lot of things. Uh, and I'd have to get into specifics and like that and, and – uh, uh, I get off on a tangent with it, but well, that's fine. I think. Well, I'm curious about the abduction scene itself. It, was that accurate at all? 
Yeah, that was pretty accurate. Uh, that's one of those things that they'd actually downplayed. Uh, he was hit by a beam of energy that blew him back real bad. I mean, it was very dramatic. And in the movie, they just, it looks like he was just spellbound by this light and then he fell down, sort of. Uh, so it was kind of downplayed. <laughs> you know, in real life, it was much more dramatic. Understood. Yes. And of course, I also got a chance to go back and watch the movie for the first time as an adult and much more different this time around. I was able to absorb much more of the story and my God, Robert Patrick actually played you in the film. Yeah. The, the T-1000. I mean, my God, how cool is that, Mike? <laughs> yeah. Well, he pretty much changed his personality. I mean, that's what an actor is. He became me. I, I, I made a remark one time on the Good Morning America and telling you he, he, he did a better me than I do. <laughs> I mean, goddammit, the T-1000, Mike. I mean, it doesn't get any cooler than that, in my opinion. And you were kind of portrayed a, a bit of like a little bit of a, a badass, Mike. Well, they downplayed that, too. Oh, awesome. <laughs> you know what? That's a great answer. I mean, back, then, back then, I was, uh, you know, they showed a scene in the movie, uh, uh, me having a scuffle with Alan Dallas. Right. In right. reality, that was a full-blown fight. Oh, really? Uh, <laughs> you know, it was... Yeah, it was just a full-blown fight without having to say more. But uh, that's what I mean by downplaying. There's uh, a whole okay. lot of things that were much more dramatic in real life than they were in that movie. Now let's hit that rewind button really quickly here. How were you guys approached for, for the film? I'm, now I'm curious. Well, Tracy Torme was the one that came up with the idea. Like you, he was uh, he was a kid, basically, when when he heard the incident. Yeah. Seventeen years later, he was a writer in Hollywood, and, and he came up with the idea and wanted to make a movie about it, and he sold it to uh, Paramount, and that's how it came about. Uh, he came to uh, Snowflake and talked to me and talked to Travis and talked to as many of the other guys were were, were around, but uh, Tracy Torme is the one that put it together. He's the son of Mel Torme, if you know who that is. Very vaguely. Well, he's a, a singer. Mel Torme is a, a you know a vocalist. Yeah, so I was going to say, wasn't that some sort of entertainer? Yeah. Yeah, that no but, wonder it was familiar. So going back to the scene with Travis Walton being abducted, you definitely seriously hightailed it out there, and you felt some guilt, so you returned, correct? Yes, uh-huh. Uh, so, so I actually the, broke mm -hmm. down. Oh, you were actually, uh, okay. When we, when we, after we came back and we were looking for him and couldn't find him, uh, that was very emotional. Yeah, it was, mm -hmm. um, I basically cried, hard to admit that, <laughs> but uh, we just went through something very, very traumatic, just about as traumatic as it can get. Yeah, I can't even imagine what was going through your head, and uh, Travis literally got sucked into this craft, right? Yeah, well, we didn't see that, but but yeah, uh, we, we left, we saw him blown back by this thing, this explosion of light or energy whatever it was he hit the ground uh it took me five seconds to see that he wasn't gonna he wasn't moving and the impact of the thing was so shocking uh we left i mean i had some of the guys in the back of the truck were screaming at me to, to get the heck out of there get the hell out of there and so i did oh my you know God. i had actually turned the truck off and uh i had to turn it back on before he could go but as soon as the engine came back to life i hit the gas and we peeled out and took off which uh the scene in the movie is pretty accurate you know 
running down this dirt road and banging into trees and things like that. It, uh, that was that was pretty accurate. That is wild. You guys are lucky you didn't crash. Yeah. Well, we are. That's dangerous. <laughs> it have easy. Holy have easy enough. My goodness. So once you drove back, you were alone at this time, right? No, uh, I was not. Oh, okay. Because uh, that's one of the mm-hmm. departures. I, uh, I gave the, you know, I stopped like, like the shows in the movies stopped up a roadways and I gave my crew the opportunity to get out of the truck and wait by the side of the road. In reality, in real life, they didn't want that at all. <laughs> they all got back in, in the truck. It's not like they all had this idea that they were scared and they wanted to stay away from. They were kind of mixed like I was. They, you know, we got to go back, but you know, my goodness, what just happened? You know, uh, very apprehensive about what we're doing. And, but we did go back. They all went back. And, and when I went back, I pulled my truck back into that spot, that clearing where the light shined right where he was. He wasn't there. The, the vehicle wasn't there. Uh, it was just dark except for my headlights. We got out. We all walked arm in arm pretty much uh, up around, you know, made a circle around a couple of times. They all sighted clearing and uh, couldn't find him. And that's when I broke down. My goodness. But I, wasn't, I wasn't alone in that feeling. Uh, a couple of the other guys had tears in their eyes and, and not just not that Travis was such a great guy. It's just that you know this the whole incident was just so traumatic. It was you know it brought tears to your eyes. Of course, of course. And then and then uh, you would have to worry what's going to become of, of about all this once it gets out. Yeah, and that's well, when... that was something we thought more about on the way back to town when we were talking. We we had to report it. Right. And I was saying, no, 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 I, I'm not going to. I'm not going to call anybody. <laughs> I, I can't handle that. Ken Peterson had the stability to actually call, but I, I, he didn't tell them what had actually happened. He just told them we had a missing man, you know, somebody lost, and, and uh, they were call- he was calling. And, you know, in the movie, they show, like, a guy showing up right away. You know, uh, but uh, in reality, Holbrook is, uh, I guess, about, 35 miles from Heber, where we were, and uh, Sheriff Gillespie, and this was at night, too, he was off duty. Uh, he drove with his undersheriff all the way to Heber, and so it was it was about 45 minutes before we saw him. The person that Ken called was was uh, Chuck Ellison. I think it was Chuck Ellison, uh, one of the local uh, deputies there, but uh, we didn't talk to the actual sheriff until he got there, and I'd say that about 45 minutes later. I was surprised that he came from, from Heber, but it was, I think it was uh, the deputy there that calling him about it that got him prompted because by that time we had the opportunity to in person to tell him about the UFO and exactly what had happened. And so the sheriff heard that. And I, I think it was that. I, I, ordinarily, I don't know if he would have come out that quick, you know, himself personally. Uh, Might have conducted a search or whatever that night. But I don't know if he would have come personally, but he did. And, um, uh, it went from there. We actually conducted a search that we went back up. That They didn't show that in the movie either. We went back up the hill, three of us, uh, four, four of us, well, Travis was gone. Uh, three of us in the crew didn't go back. But they didn't want to go back. I mean, I, they couldn't be made to go back. Right. But three of us did and, uh, and you know, had three or four uh, policemen, uh, sheriff there, and they had a four-wheel drive, and we toured around there quite a bit. Looked for Travis that night and couldn't find him, couldn't find tracks or anything. 
And the next day, they got a search warrant early, and it was a pretty big search. It was uh, about uh, somewhere between 60 and 80 men, some on horseback, mostly on foot. And they, the second day of the search, which would have been a Friday, uh, I believe, anyway, they, they had a helicopter. I had two helicopters, actually, not just one, scouring the area. And it was quite a commotion there for a while. Couldn't find any trace of him anywhere. And they had dogs, too. Yeah, the entire town was out looking for him. Well, not the entire town, but, but a lot, you know, a lot of search and rescue people. Lots of them. All of them, basically. I don't know how many there were, actually, but I know there was enough. The woods were full of people, put it that way. My goodness. And the entire time, the town thought, you murdered Travis. No, that was something that was kind of put in their, the people's heads by the sheriff and them. So the they sheriff. The ones that were thinking that. So the sheriff was really a ball buster, as depicted in the, in the film. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, my. <laughs> I mean, he was hard-nosed. He wasn't necessarily a, a bad guy or anything like that. He was a good guy. He, just, he was just doing his job. You know? Very he, strict. He did it very well. <laughs> right, right. He was elected twice as sheriff, from what I understand, you know, after an interim. Right, but, and uh, and of course he was the the one to initiate the polygraph uh, the polygraph test, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. And he brought a guy out of Phoenix. Uh, his name was Cy Gilson, and he was a real hard nose. <laughs> I remember sitting there. You know, I'm I'm like the well, of course I'm the head of the crew. You know, and they looked at me as, as the main person. So Cy Gilson would come over to me and more than more than once says, "You aren't lying, are you?" And he was. <laughs> Slapped me with the back of his fingers on my on my shoulder, hard enough to hurt, you know. No, oh, yes. <laughs> I realized what that was all about, but you know, we were getting kind of out of hand. We didn't we didn't believe it. Uh, Alan Dallas's mother was there, and she was saying, you know, they're not going to believe anything. They're 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 going to dummy these tests. Uh, you know, you didn't take these tests and all that sort of stuff. And we were in the county lockup at the time. I mean, we came there willingly, but each. As, as we finally got into the test and we're taking them one at a time, the person who finished their test had to go out into this yard that was a big rock and wall wall and couldn't go anywhere. They had to stay there all day. I mean, these tests took all day long up until the night, and they, they took about two hours apiece or longer. Uh, the tests were very thorough, and they were asking questions about, of course, whether we'd done anything to Travis Walton, but also about the truth of the incident. And uh, at the end of the day, the, the examiner, Cy Gilson, didn't want to tell us. I had to say, uh, everybody, you got to tell us something. <laughs> you know? And it's kind of like it was. The, the scene in the movie was, was pretty accurate. Uh, I uh, I demanded to know something. And he said, well, I'm afraid one of your tests was inconclusive, Alan Dallas. I kind of knew that immediately because Alan Dallas was, you know, very weary of the law. You know, he was bad kid he, he, you know he had a record already and uh, so he was a little scared about that but uh toward the end of his test and they they would run run us through these tests uh, a whole whole battery of questions uh three times so i i knew that alan dallas's test was inconclusive i, I kind of figured there'd be a problem with it to start with but after the Ty gelson said that i said well what about the rest of us he says well i gotta tell you you all passed the test and that was a big relief, yeah. big relief. <laughs> I would have felt the same way. So, yep, I think anybody would. No doubt. And, of course, so a few days go by and Travis makes the call. From what I recall, 
did he call his sister first? Uh, his, uh, the movie deliberately changed that. He said brother-in-law. I, I wasn't his brother-in-law yet. I would be with it about a year or so later, but he was, he was his other brother-in-law, husband of his sister. Uh, that's who he called. I think his name is Brant Neff. I don't know if he wants me to say it here, but that's who he actually called. Uh Uh-oh. And then Brant Neff, of course, called Travis's other brother, Dwayne Walton, and him and he he has three other brothers, two other brothers. They were all there. And Dwayne was a very fair, but he's also a boxer. You know, he's somebody you don't want to mess with. Oh, no. Uh, You know, and uh, he died. Uh, three or four years ago, but uh, at the time he was packed full of muscles and he was serious business, and uh, I was even scared of him. <laughs> you know, even though I'm a been a boxer and all that, but uh, he was he was very serious and, and he was very nice at the same time. I was surprised by that because I always thought he was kind of a badass. But when it came to this thing, he was very concerned about Travis, and, and he didn't do anything uh, you know wrong or out of hand. He he treated pretty well. And, and I kind of think it was a good lesson for him, too. Yes. And the one thing I do want to point out to those who uh, are new to this case, this isn't a case that happened in the 90s, by the way. This is something that happened back in uh, 75. 75, correct. Uh, just in case yeah. anyone out there is misled, uh, some people are thinking it, it happened in the 90s because of the film. That's one yeah. of the misconceptions. But yeah. The film came out in 1990. Uh, Three, I three. Think. Mm-hmm. and and this uh, happened in 1975, November 5th, 1975. What a different time that was compared to what we're going through today, correct? My God, yes, time has really holy, changed, hasn't it? Holy hell! Of course, <laughs> of course, I wasn't around to experience it, but just going through the history and all that sort of thing, and seeing society shape and form, especially after 9/11, that's when everything. I've really changed the fundamentals of this country, uh, altered forever, in my opinion, sir. Yes, I believe so. And I have some theories about that. I don't need to get into that right now. Sure. We, we, yes. Things have definitely changed. Oh, my goodness. Yes, sir. So uh, Travis calls the sister or whoever he called, rather, and what what happened then? Did you? Who gave you the call? I didn't even see Travis or know he was back for over a day. Uh, it was, it was Travis's family, uh, went out and got him. He was in a phone booth out in Heber, the town that where we were when we called the, the authorities. And, uh, they went out there and, and found him. He thought it was, a, Travis thought it was the same night, but it was five days later, a little over five days. And, um, he had a growth of beard and, and I didn't see this, of course, but I know the story. They, uh, they whisked him off down to the valley. I mean, they took him to Snowflake first briefly and he saw his mother and stuff and everything. And, and then they took him down to Dwayne Wallen's house down, down in Glendale, Arizona. And that's where all everything happened down there. Uh, and all that, you know, in the movie, that's like I say, that's another downplay. There's lots of downplays in that movie. Uh, things that were fictionalized most often were fictionalized in a way to, uh, uh, Non-exaggerate, unexaggerate, you know, it was the reverse of exaggeration. Most movies are exaggerated, you know. This one wasn't. Everything was, was definitely smoother and milder than, than the real life, uh, by far. Uh, there was an awful big hubbub that went on. 
lots of things. The sheriff went down to see Travis, I think, within two days, one day or two days, and uh, he was still skeptical. He had already know, you know, he already knew that none of us had killed him. That was pretty obvious. And of course, he knew that after the examiner announced him. And the examiner, you know, Cy Gelson, I've gotten to know him since, and he's a character, and uh, he's retired now. But uh, he says that the face on on the Sheriff Gillespie, you know, he says he'll always remember that because he was so dumbfounded. <laughs> Sheriff Gillespie was he looked dumbfounded, you know, when he heard that he's. You know, Gillespie says, you know, these guys passed the test. They're not lying. <laughs> they actually did. They're telling the truth about everything. And nobody's hurt Travis. We, we, you know, he's just missing. And, uh, Sheriff Gillespie, uh, impressed that Todd Gilson that way. And I didn't see it, but I believe it because that's exactly the way it would have happened. Understood. And when exactly did you learn of the abduction story of these entities? Was that accurate? It was and it wasn't. <laughs> I have to kind of pick it apart. You know, he he met two kinds, and in the movie he didn't. He only met one. Uh, the initial incident, Travis's incident, board when he woke up, he woke up in a state of shock. You know, in pain, and the first thing he saw, what he thought, thought was at first was doctors with masks on. He thought he was on a, on a table and they were operating on him or something. He thought it was the same night. Uh, but but when he when he came to, he could see that these these little creatures, three and a half four feet tall, big big gray heads, you know, uh, they they were standing around him and and he freaked out and he jumped off the table and he says the place was small and it was dim and it was very very humid and uh, these little creatures didn't didn't immediately leave. He kind of had to shoo them away. You know, he had to grab something off of the he didn't know what it was. It was like a long tube or something. And he was lashing out at them. And they left. And all of a sudden, they just left. And then he went went looking through the ship very carefully, went into a round room that had a chair in it and stuff. And he was looking around. And he said that the, you could see the light, like like the stars in the sky, but not the ground, just the stars, like you're out in space. And and uh, he said that not too long after that, this, this guy came to the door, and he looked like a human. He was... Uh, you know, and he was wearing a helmet, like like a astronaut helmet, but not not that bulky. Just uh, the way he describes it, it was very. The guy was muscular. He was good looking, and there was something strange about the eyes. You know, I've I've illustrated all that, and uh, you know, I understood. I understand well exactly what what they looked like and everything. But uh, he, this character, whoever he was, uh, wouldn't talk to him and let him out and let him out of this craft that they were in and into a big large hangar a huge hangar area and he could see other aircraft or uh, ufos i guess you call them around it there let him across the other side of the hangar and through a door and down the hall and, and then into another small room where there were three more people that looked just like him he said they had a family resemblance and their probably the best description of them would be what they call the nordic type right yeah, I find that six, interesting six, that they. One or so. I, I find that interesting that they left that out of the movie. Yeah, well, weird. The movie couldn't be too long, and oh, I guess it right. was probably just complicated for him. Ah, uh, yeah. That wouldn't be scary enough, you know. <laughs> but uh, uh, anyway, these people didn't talk to him either. He never was able to get any answers or any comments out of any of these people. Uh, they looked very human, uh, and they looked kindly, you know. But 
they put him on another table and then and they put a thing over his mouth and held him down and and he went out. That's the last thing he remembers. And he woke up five days later, or he was gone five days and, and two hours or something. And uh, so when his brother you know, told him, no, it's been five days, and Travis just didn't understand that he he was kind of floored by that. And I didn't hear about anything that happened for a couple of days, two or three days actually. I mean, I heard about him being returned like a day later, but I didn't go down to see him for, for I think, three days later. And then I was able to talk to him about it and stuff, but he wasn't real forthcoming about things. Uh, he was just kind of subdued. And he had a lot of people trying to get information out of him. So I understand his, his experience, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty wild to think, how am I actually going to communicate with this guy in a normal way Yeah. without him freaking out? Yep. Uh uh, I didn't push him, you know. I could see that he he didn't want to talk about it, and uh, I asked him certain things, and he would tell me, you know. He didn't he didn't refuse to tell me anything. He just was reluctant, acted reluctant. And so basically, my conversation with him was to try to try to normalize him, just talking about normal things. And that was most of our conversation. But I did learn a little bit about what had happened to him, and I learned more when when I heard from uh, other people like. Travis's brother told me about it. And he, Travis went through a, a battery. Of, I mean, they took him to a doctor as soon as he, they got to Phoenix. And he, he went through all kinds of tests. And then they got a hold of APRO, which is located in Tucson. And uh, it no longer exists. But at the time, uh, APRO took took the reins and they everything you could imagine. Uh, he, he went through everything. Dr. Leo Sprinkle, uh, all kinds of psychiatric stuff, psychiatric tests. Um, you name it, um, they put him through the ringer. And when you talked to him, did you ever at one point say, so, Travis, is that the truth? That really happened? Yeah. You, uh-huh. Did you try that, that move with him? That was one of the first things I said to him. Okay, good. Very yeah, good. Yeah, he, he, he said, like I say, he's reluctant about everything, but he acknowledged that. He would answer my questions. I just didn't want to push him real far. Yeah. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to calm move. him down. I, I knew I could tell that he wanted to talk. He wanted to be normal. He really wanted that. Yeah. This is one of those cases I, I refer to at times where I think I'm not exactly sure if it's, um, if, if this really happened or not. And talking to you, it makes me lean towards that it did happen. Again, this is one of those cases that really drove me to become a lot more uh, interested in, in extraterrestrials and UFOs and all of that. Yeah. But before, you know, my interest was always there. This basically furthered that interest. Well, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> I would think that everybody in their right mind, anybody logical would, uh, would look at it that way. Uh, the, the case is very believable. I mean, if you talk to Cy Gilson, you don't think anything up but belief because he came up here as a skeptic. You know, he didn't believe it at all, and he became a full-blown believer. He was he was as astounded as Sheriff Lesty was about the results. And he says that his particular method of you know polygraph is uh, basically foolproof. Just one person. It's it's. Uh, he said I think it's uh, 90, 96 to ninety-eight percent or ninety-four to ninety-eight percent accurate. Uh, a crazy person can slip through it if they're real good at you know, looking normal, but Cy Gilson says that there's 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 methods that can prove or disprove 
your your state of mind, whether or not you're like a pathological liar or something. Right, but this is they, this they can is, determine that. Yeah. Without even asking you questions about the purpose, you know. Right, and but what when, I go ahead. I'm sorry to cut you off, but what I what I was going to say was what what I find interesting was given the fact the year was 1975, uh, I I would have to say or assume that none of you had that sort of knowledge to pull this off. Well, I've never taken a lie detector test before. Exactly. That's, fact, I don't think right. anybody had, any of us. Yeah, so that's why I'm thinking, well, you wouldn't know any sort of method on how to uh, pass one of these things back in 75. Well, I still don't know that you can do it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, like to say, you have to be like a pathological liar, uh, somebody with a, some sort of strange ability to to believe that what you're saying is the truth, you know. But when you get that many people, and that's the thing that Sig uh, is, is always says, one person, okay, two people, no. Six people, absolutely not. There's no way in the world, you know, it's like, like taking those kind of odds and then multiplying it times its odds, times its odds, times its odds, times its odds. There's no way. It's, yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's foolproof that way. Yeah, slim to none. Say that again? Very, very interesting. And... Of course, after all this went on, how was life for you at this time? Well, at the time, it was real hard because uh, people were not believing of it at all. And the movie, they show everything where, like, they show a big banquet there at my house, and and uh, my sister's there that, that Travis wasn't even going with her at the time. They liked each other, but this thing about him proposing to her or bringing her donuts up upstairs like that. That was that didn't happen for a while, you know. But still, did that actually happen? Well, yeah, later on. Ah, okay. He married her. He married my sister. What was he? How long was an hour? About a year later. Was he as big of a goofball as he was as portrayed in the film? Yeah, again, I didn't understand that. Was he as much of a goofball as he was portrayed in the film? No. Okay. <laughs> yeah, they made him very goofy. He was he was more more straight straight laced. Uh, they portray him as a a bad guy because he rode a motorcycle and stuff, and he wasn't really a churchgoer. You know, he was a, it was a Jack Mormon, <laughs> what they call a Jack Mormon. Oh, Somebody Hollywood, Hollywood to be a Mormon, but they're, they're they don't really go to church or anything. Yes, uh, Hollywood likes to do these things. Yeah, that's all Hollywood right there. Reality was much more dramatic, much more so, and much more involved by far. So when all this went down, did mom and dad think you were crazy at any time? Or they no, fully believed you? Uh, uh, my dad and I had talked about things. You know, it's funny. When I was a kid, he uh, he would tell me, we even talked about reality, you know, and, and whether how real is reality. And he had this this uh, thing. It was like a test. It was something he told everybody. He, he worked with a lot of people, too. He was a crew boss as well. And uh, in the logging woods, you, you, you gain a real strict sense of reality. Well, he had this thing he would say, hey, if you have any question about how real is reality, take a hard run down the hill and slam your head hard into one of those little 12-inch soft pines. And he says, when you wake up in the doctor's office <laughs> with 15 stitches and a splitting headache, you will have come to know just how real reality is. <laughs> I like your dad. What would you say? I like your dad. He's He's wise. Yeah, he, wiser than me, 
he also went on drinking binges, so I don't know how wise he actually was. Well, you know, sometimes you gotta you gotta get the spirit in you every now and then. It happens. Yeah, that never happened to me, <laughs> but uh, it did to him. Oh my! Uh, every you know, two or three months or something. <laughs> but you were you were close to your father, though. You had a, a good solid relationship with him, right? Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. that's good. Yeah. So you know, sometimes yeah. I talk to uh, various guests on on this program, Mike. And some of them are not close to their fathers. And, you know, that that's always troubling to me. You know, I grew up with both my parents, and I love both of them very much. And yeah. I always get sad when I hear that other people don't have that sort of relationship. Well, I didn't just have that kind of relationship. I had it with both of my grandparents on both sides. Very good. And my grandfather, Rogers, owned uh, a lot of land. He owned about half a snowflake on the west side. My grandfather, Howard, lived right across the, the creek from there, but what they call the wash, it was a dry part of the time. And he owned a big, big section of land there, and it was basically a ranch. And I lived half my childhood there and half my childhood on the other place. Both places were very lush. One place is full of animals and all that. The other place is full of grapevines and, you know, pear trees and apple trees and corn cornfields. And that was my childhood. And I, I, I think now that I've listened to everything and everything I, anybody else has and has gone through as a child, I was very fortunate. Yeah, very good, very, very good. Sounds good to me. And, Mike, we are coming up on a, on a break here. And, of course, I do want to talk about the Phoenix Lights incident with you when we return. Will you be all right with taking a little break? Sure. In all fact, right. I want one. Uh, perfect, perfect. Okay, yes, we'll we'll both go to the bathroom and and get a drink and we'll return and I'll give you a, a little buzz in a few moments here. Okay. All right, Sounds Mike. Good. All right, I'll, I'll check in with you in a few moments here, Mike. Go ahead and okay. do your thing, and I'll talk to you soon. Okay. All right. Thank you. And there goes my guest, Mr. Mike Rogers. A fantastic evening so far. I am just loving all of this very much. It's it's very nostalgic to go back to all these classic cases, and we, we're going to discuss a, a few things here coming up. Uh, I'm just thrilled. And, of course, all of you are more than welcome to call in with your questions. That number is 760-332-8724. One more time, 760-332-8724. And now we'll go on a little break. About to be recycled. And welcome back to the program, ladies and gentlemen. I'm live right now with Mr. Mike Rogers. Welcome back. Yes, thank you. Glad to be here. Yes, it's been a very fun evening so far. And, of course, for those who are just joining in, we basically talked about the whole Travis Walton experience. Right, Mike? Yeah, we have. Covered it pretty good. Yeah, we went over... The ins and outs, and I think it's time to switch gears here just a little bit. I know you wanted to talk a little bit about the Phoenix Lights incident. Yeah, that's actually a pretty big thing in my life. It's it's far more recent, but uh, I've discovered some very astounding things about it, uh, things that are proven and they're absolute, and and they're kind of unbelievable. And A lot of people aren't going to want to hear it, but... uh, it's, it's the truth, and I've got to say it like it is. Right. And, of course, are you open to take phone calls, Mike? Yeah. I'd like to kind of get this started first and say what it is we're talking about. But after that, sure. Okay, perfect. Go ahead, Mike. And, of course, you are taking us back to the year 
1997 when these amazing lights in the sky seemed to manifest out of nowhere. Yeah, well, uh, it's not really all that amazing to me that it happened. It's not like I have to be available for everything. I only had these these two things happen to me, uh, but and and they're they weren't synchronicity and they they weren't coincidence. Oops, am I still here? Yeah, we're good. Hello. Yo. Okay. I'm here. I just heard a bunch of beeping there, and I thought maybe we were cut off. Anyway, um, in 1997, I was that particular night. I was on my way to Phoenix. I went by Chino Valley to uh, talk to a friend who I couldn't find who in the home. So I went up on top of a hill there, not a mountain top, but uh, and I was gonna, you know, looking at the uh, Hale-Bopp comet and taking some video, trying to take video, but wasn't working. While I was there, you know, I saw these lights come up basically from the surface, not in the air, like flying over. And uh, this thing didn't come directly over me. It was kind of went, went east of where I was. But uh, I could see, I, I was immediately aware that it was being carried by the wind because the direction it was heading, the wind was blowing on the back of my neck. Uh, and that let me know that it was uh, at least gave me a good indication that it was being carried by the wind. And I watched it until it almost disappeared, but uh, I could see structure. And, and they say that's a, like a contrast effect. At least the skeptics say it was a contrast effect. You believe things exist between points of light that aren't really there. But I've also studied an awful lot of uh, illusions. I'm, I've, I've been become a student of illusions. Um, at first, I wanted to know if uh, what happened to us in 1975 was was any part of if there's any illusion of any kind connected to it, and uh, my study went from there. I actually went to the point where I couldn't find things in print. I, I looked and looked, I couldn't find anything in print for most everything. So I pretty much just had to explore it on my own. And from that point, I've grown, it's grown and grown and grown to where I, I really know know a lot, of, an awful lot about what I call natural illusion, difference between man-made illusion and, and natural illusion. And uh, without going through all that, going right here to the, the chase, you know, the huge ominous object of the first event was not piloted by extraterrestrials, and it was not a formation of high-flying airplanes. That's going to be something that's going to be hard for people to believe, and they're saying nonsense. And we know what we saw. But, uh, oh, yes. You're not going to be uh, winning people over with this one. No, I'm not. In fact, I don't believe in it because the trouble of it is that believers as such – want it to be piloted by ETs, you know. But the skeptics, okay, uh, like uh, Tony Ortega, for instance, he, he wrote a big uh, debunking piece about it, and not once did he ever mention the fact that, that the wind was right there. Uh, the fact is the wind was blowing in exactly the same direction, and it was a, an intricate path. It was curving, left, tur- curving right and then slowly curving left across central Arizona, and that path now lays right on top. If you take that path of the wind and you put it right over the top of either one of the skeptics' admittance of the path or the, the uh, what you might call the accumulation of the witnesses, you know, the, uh, Peter Davenport of the National UFO Reporting Center uh, put a map together. It's 20 years old now, but it uh, gives you the core root of, of the objects. It had, he had it included a few other things. People, you know, he pretty much reports what people tell him, uh, but uh, that core path, which is basically from north of Prescott to uh, 
northwest Phoenix to south Phoenix to Casa Grande and beyond is, is what everybody said. You know, it was testified by hundreds of thousands of people, actually. And Tony Ortega gives you that exact same path for the route of his airplane, supposedly. It's the same path. And when you take the path of the wind, which you, which is, exists on a number of documents, both from, uh, you know, NOAA and the National Weather Service, it's right on top. It's identical. And I don't see any way in the world that could be the truth. Uh, and it's a fact because you can't deny the path of the object. You can't deny the path of the wind. Uh, and they say something. They say something big. They say that whatever it was was carried on the wind. So I don't know any other way to look at it. And I don't, I won't take it beyond that too much, but it suggests that the object was man-made. It suggests that it was made by somebody who had an awful lot of money to do it because the thing was a, a, a third of a mile wide. Yeah, this was a and pretty so, big object. Yes, it was a large object. It wasn't as big as some people said. But the people north of Prescott, for instance, said that it was the size of a, of a 747, which is considerably smaller than it really was. And I have a concept about that, too. But, um, you know, it's what I come to, to call virtual perception uh, when somebody sees something a distance away and it's unbelievably large like that was, their mind perceives it as something of normal size. In this case, a lot of people thought it was like a, a big black V2 bomber, which is nearly the size of a 747. And uh, when that happens, it suddenly becomes 12 times closer. You know, a V2 bomber is 12 times smaller than, the, than that object was. And so in the process, it becomes 12 times smaller, which puts it right out in front of you. <laughs> it looks that way. I have some graphics that I sent to you. I don't think you displayed them, but it'd be almost necessary to look at that to, to visualize what I'm talking about. They're on the website, actually. Are they? Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, the one that shows the, shows the, uh, the whole area and the uh, objects and then the lines going down towards uh, uh, Boulder City and uh, Henderson. I'm, put, there. I'm actually putting that one up right now. Okay. Well, what the people saw was, you know, over 100 miles away. And, uh, but they perceived it as being right in front of them because it was perceived as being one twelfth the size of the thing that they were actually looking at. And the strange thing is, is that most people thought it was moving very, very fast, blinding speed. And actually, if you take the times involved that people have given, that it works out to somewhere between 500 and 1,200 miles per hour. And in the valley, people saw it much, much closer, but they perceived it as being incredibly slow. Most people thought it was hovering until they realized it was covering ground a little too fast to be hovering, so they kind of adjusted their thinking. It was actually on the wind. The wind that night, and I've, I've, I've gone through this and found all this and everything. I can only say it over the air without showing it, but uh, over the mountains, it was it was it was up around fifteen thousand feet for a while, and then it because of the incline of the natural terrain and and possibly the fact that it was uh, being shot at by the air force, which is also a very real possibility, uh, it was losing buoyancy and it uh, started lowering in, in elevation quite rapidly. It went from fifteen thousand feet down to about ten thousand feet over Phoenix. By the time it got to South Phoenix and beyond, it was down to about 8,000. By the time it, its lights went out and, and it, they thought it disappeared, it was down to around 7,000 feet. And, of course, the ground 
in Phoenix, and there was is about 1,500 feet in elevation. So it was, you know, pretty close to them, and and they have every right to think that it was because it was. Uh, but it wasn't what they thought it was. It, it had to be man-made. I can't in any, any way perceive it being extraterrestrial, being carried on the wind. That's interesting that you say that. I've never heard anyone be uh, as skeptical as you, given the fact that you've had this, uh, you've had yeah. an incident yourself. Well, I'm no skeptic. I really am not. I'm, I'm a believer. But I happen to be a realist at the same time because I always was. I had something incredible happen to me in 1975, and of course I believe it in <laughs> in every way. But right, right. I never quit being a realist, and so you know I've I've kept being a, a believer because you know skepticism is basically a good thing, but it just skepticism too easily denies possibility. Believing by its very nature is positive. Skepticism by its very nature is somewhat negativism. Not entirely, but just leaves that way. Uh, so I'm in between, but more of a believer. Yeah, I understand. I'm with fact, you on that. In fact, I'm a, I'm a stark believer, but I'm still a realist. So it's really kind of a contrast. I can respect that. I've had my own unusual sightings, and even even now I'm, I'm still quite skeptical if what I saw was real or not. And, of course, I've had other strange things happen, and for sure those... Things did happen, but I have no way of explaining them. Yeah. And that's all well, I can I really say. Well, I have to be say. lucky enough that I had six guys with me in 1975, and I have them to play off of, and they had never changed anything. Everything was solid, real. You know, nothing's changed. Uh, everybody saw the same thing. Right. And, everybody and my, passed lie detector tests. You know? Right. And, and what do you have to say for the skeptics out there, uh, since there's been so many uh, after this case since the beginning, the, the lack of evidence is what, Many of the skeptics point out, you know, that's something they always go after. And, and they bring up Travis and, and they'll say, well, he didn't, he didn't have any signs of trauma. You know, that's one of the things the skeptics bring up when you talk about. He didn't about have any signs case. of trauma? Yeah, that, that's what. And they're just, they're just making things up because he was extremely traumatized. Um, extremely. Right. And the doctors and everybody that examined him at that time attested to that. So I don't know where they're coming up to that. Understood, uh, understood. Must be making it up because that came out of thin air. And by the way, on a positive note, the photo is uploaded now, by the way. So if you okay. hit, yeah, if you hit refresh on your page, it's on there for those okay. out there. And that's the, right. the map of uh, Henderson and Phoenix and Tucson yeah. giving that direction there. Yeah. Very interesting. I've, I've uh, never really heard anyone talk about this. Yeah, well, nobody has, and that's the thing that gets me. You know, you're just talking about the skeptics, and they're coming up with something I didn't hear here before. Well, I haven't right. heard of it before, but it's just not true, and I don't know where they would even get that. I don't know why they would say that. It's the, but, uh, you know, we're I have here. a big bone to pick with right. skeptics. In fact, uh, Tony Ortega, I call him a debunker because I don't, I don't even know if he's a skeptic. He's a debunker, and I, we discovered that Phil Class was a government, not employee, but he was somehow he was involved with the government, and the government was kind of, you know, giving him his marching orders. And later on in life, you know, when he was getting close to dying, I talked to him more amiably, and and he almost admitted to that. He didn't say it, but we found proof otherwise. And uh, and very things that you can't deny. Uh, he is so very closely tied to, to the U.S. government. 
which means that the debunking wasn't really debunking. It was more or less of a propaganda. He, he was a propagandist. And what they were trying to get people to do with their propaganda, with their debunking, and that's what I think about Tony Ortega, too. I've never met the man. He's a good guy. He's very intelligent, obviously. But <laughs> yes, it's his piece that he wrote, his debunking piece about the Phoenix Light, looks exactly like something to make believers believe, not disbelieve, because it's just completely strewn with, with bias. You know, he, he takes the word of one person over thousands. And if you just go by the odds, the odds have it. But yet he thought that he, he was putting everybody down. He, was, he threw everything away as far as observers were concerned, except for one, the one that had a different idea. And he was a 10-year-old boy, and he, and he couldn't even identify the, I, the objects without looking through a telescope, a big telescope, 10-inch telescope he had in his yard. And, and you know, when you look at Tony's or, or piece and, and look at the whole thing the way it is, well, I can tell you right now, I've talked to a lot of believers, and they say that, that, was, that, that was a still steaming pile. You know, uh, <laughs> and that's what I see too, and yes. I don't know why, because born on the wind, this object being born on the wind is so obvious, so absolutely obvious. He couldn't have missed it. He could not have missed it. And his, his debunking piece is so riddled with bias, it's as though he was trying to get people to not believe what he was saying. He's saying it, but not wanting people to believe it, like like propaganda. <laughs> right. And, and I don't know the absolute truth of that, but it certainly looks that way. Understood. And Mike, to make things perfectly clear for those out there listening in just now, you are talking about the Phoenix Lights incident and you are conveying that this was indeed one of our own. It was not extraterrestrial, correct? Right. And now you say one of our own. I don't know what it was. Okay? okay. Okay. I just know, I kind of know what it wasn't. It wasn't piloted by extraterrestrials, but it also wasn't a formation of high flying airplanes. It had to be man-made, but I don't believe uh, the Air Force or Skunk Works or anything came up with something a third of a mile wide. Right. I tend to believe, you know, that it was man-made in terms of, of uh, fabricated out of very cheap, lightweight material and lifted with with some lighter-than-air gas, helium or hydrogen or something. That's that's what I tend to believe. Tend to believe. I don't 100% believe it. Understood. 1975, I believe 100%. That's what I'm saying just looks very much this way. Understood, and, and that's fair. I definitely think you bring up some valid points. And, of course, I've heard other people debunk this, of course. And there there are two separate incidents that happened that night. Uh, one that Yeah, they're very separate. Very separate incidents, but both man-made. Yes. Okay. Yeah, some people are not going to be happy with that. Well, a lot of people aren't. But the, the, the flares of the, of the second event, they call it, were over 70 miles away. They thought they were right there in front of, at first, in front of South Mountain, and then they thought they were in front of, uh, the Australia Mountains. They're actually way behind the Australia Mountains. And the Air Force came forth, forth, forth later and, and said that that's what they were. They were flares. And they had deployed them. And, uh, it's something they did commonly, and it was seen from Phoenix area, but always in the same direction. Always the same kind of height above the ground. And, uh, but believers, which was prompted by people I don't think even believed it. They just used it as a promotional gimmick, uh, to make people, you know, make money off, uh, you know, believers. Understood. And believers, uh-huh. yeah, they, 
they kind of went along with that uh, because believers, even though I don't believe they're credulous like the skeptics say they are, uh, they still are adventurous, you know. Right. And uh, they uh, they they believe what these people would tell them, and uh, I call them the gurus of the believers. <laughs> I don't know a better term for them, but they say that the second event lights were not flares, and they have all kinds of proofs for it and stuff, but they have a lot of people say it different. But nevertheless, the, what the Air Force is saying means that they were so far away, they could have been, they could have been, you know, the, the, the believers say, or these people who claim to be believers say that the flares have uh, smoke trails and, and downward drift or, or drift, and that these lights of the second event didn't have that. But if you look at lights, you know, 70 miles away, the flares 70 miles away, you can't see smoke trails. You can't see downward drift. It, they look perfectly fine. In fact, illumination flares have a big parachute, and they, they kind of stay in the air a lot. They stay relative to a solid position uh, due to the, the hot air balloon effect of their own heat under their own big chutes. And then they start drifting down more as, as their flares start to go out. And, you know, all the videos taken of the second event, which were several, more than people know about. Actually, on fast forward, if you run them on fast forward, they show a, a downward motion to the to those lights at the very end of the incident, and uh, you can't you can't help but see that they obviously disappeared behind the mountain. They didn't go out; they disappeared behind the mountain as they dropped down. And uh, that's the second event. I I didn't really see the second event. I came close to seeing it because when this happened to me up near Prescott, uh, seeing what I saw. I got in my truck and took off and tried to chase it. I couldn't catch up with it, but uh, I got close enough to the valley. When I did get down close to the valley, I could see it as it went over South Mountain. But I, I never caught up to it. Uh, but I, I also didn't see the second event, you know, the lights of the second event. Right. But, you know, I know about it, and uh, and I, I believe thoroughly that it was what the Air Force says. Understood. And, Mike, I, I, I'm always curious for those who had some sort of incident they see or they've seen or they've been abducted, you know, that sort of thing. I'm curious, after this happened to you, Mike, did this further um, interest you at all to do any research into other cases out there aside from your experience? Because for some I've people... I've done a lot of research. Because for some people... I've become, I've become that, uh, you know. Right. My own incident put me on that path, and, and uh, the Phoenix Lights uh, solidified it. And for the last, mm-hmm. you know, 21 years since the Phoenix Lights, I've, I've been uh, totally involved <laughs> in the entire subject. But it's, again, as a realist. Right, right. And I respect you for that, by the way, for having those sort of opinions. Lots of people, of course, will not like that you have those sort of opinions, but that's a good, healthy sort of thing people need. Well, I think everybody needs to be skeptical in that sense. Even though I've already said that skepticism uh, kind of denies possibility, uh, it only does that in a way, you know. Skepticism basically a good thing if, if you do it, if you temper it with logic, you know. And yeah. everything to me has to be unbiased. Bias is, is, a, is one of the my pet peeves. Yes. Bias is absurd. You know, I, I just can't say enough about that. Yes, lots of people uh, out there, they are definitely victims of, Confirmation biasness as well. 
Uh, some. I believe, uh, believe someone wants to jump in here. Oh. Well, I can take phone calls if you want, if that's what you're talking about. Yeah, I believe. Yeah, let, let's bring them in. They wanted to ask you a question, I the believe. Deacon. Oh, there you are, Eric. Did you did you have a question for Mr. Mike Rogers here? Unfortunately, I, I was having, I don't know why, but I, I wasn't really able to hear the broadcast. So I wasn't hear sure. That, if you, that. Are you still interviewing Mr. Rogers? I'm sorry. I apologize. Yeah, he's right here, live and direct. Mr. <laughs> Ro- Mr. Rogers, can you can you hear Eric? Yeah, uh, there was a kind of Mr. a Mr. Rogers sounds like he's there, in three countries right can away. Hear can you can you I guys think. hear me? I, I can hear you. I hear you, but I do not hear Mr. Rogers. That's a shame. Oh no! Can you hear Mr. Can Rogers? you hear me? I I could hear both of you loud and clear. Oh, what a bummer! I mean, I hear you, but I do not hear Mr. Rogers. Oh no! So but you can't hear him. Yeah, you know what? You should call in on the okay. phone number. All right. Is that where is that number posted on? Uh, where can I find that? Oh, that number is 760-332-8724. I should have given that number out. <laughs> yeah. Put it on goodness. Twitter or something, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you guys a few minutes, and I'll call I'll call back. Yeah, it's on the website, actually. Oh, it's on the website. Okay, I'll go there right, and find yeah, it. Yeah, right-hand side. Back. Go ahead. Right on, brother. Bye-bye. Right, bye-bye. Yeah, I could hear him right there, but uh, for a while there, I couldn't. Yeah, that's weird. You should have been able to hear him. It, sometimes it's a... A computer issue, but if he calls in that number, uh, it'll work, and and we'll get this thing running here. But yeah, um, I, I always really like people that do hold some skepticism, and they don't just jump in there blindly all the time. I I, I don't really like people who. Well, I shouldn't say I don't like. I, I should say I I dislike those who sort of really go on these wild goose chases. I should say. Yeah. And it can happen either way. You know, uh, the skeptics basically say the believers are credulous (laughs) to easily believe. But my point of view is, and I I agree that a a lot of believers are credulous, but I can't think of anybody any more credulous than skeptics who believe everything that debunkers tell them. (laughs) Yeah, that's the issue. I can't. can't. That's the conundrum. I have a lot of skeptical friends, by the way. Them that don't believe what the debunkers say, even as as biased as Tony Ortega is, is terribly super biased. And if you read his writing, you know that. But you know they eat it, and uh, that sounds to me like skeptic. That sounds to me like credulity. You know, I don't know what else to say. I'm just trying to be honest. No, and I respect you for that. It's a very very valid point to bring up. And before we were interrupted there. I, I was going to say that the the reason why I brought up the the uh, the interest question is because some individuals out there, once this sort of thing happens to them, they they sort of check out. They don't really want to get involved any further in into the subject matter. Yeah, it's different for everyone, <laughs> but an open-minded realist, I. Except what has happened to me, I had the support of several other people to help me with that. But, uh, you know, and I know what I saw with the Phoenix Lights. And I know and I can say honestly what I thought it was and what it, what it, what it, what it wasn't. And uh, I immediately noticed that it was carried on the wind. That was so obvious to me. Uh, I saw it at a pretty close range. But, it, you know, it's, you know, the, I could tell which way the wind was blowing. It blew on the back of my neck while I'm looking at this thing going away towards the south. 
and I put two to two together, and and uh, and I I've done right. this stuff very in depth in, in the in the last several years, in the last forty two years since 1975, I've learned certain things. I have a kind of a observer's kit, you might say. Yes. A video camera, a snapshot camera, and the, uh, you know, good high quality. Right, and Mike, one yeah. one second here, caller, are you, are you alive there? Okay, I'm alive. It's oh, alive. There you, you are. Hear me? <laughs> yeah, I can hear, I can hear the gentleman speaking now. Okay, now he could hear you, Eric. Beautiful. No, I, I wish I had been able to, for whatever reason, when I tuned in to tune in, it, it wasn't playing correctly. And anyway, I, I just when I'm very interested in the topic. I did. I don't know if you've had a chance to ask him what was it about these subjects that created a passion that for him. I mean, did you guys go over that already? Because I'm curious. Right. Yeah, that's what we're talking about right now. Is that? Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I talked to different guests here that have had these experiences, and lots of them they sort of don't want to further examine what happened to them or have an interest in the subject. Whatsoever, but for Mike, he definitely was one that became even more curious, right, Mike? You bet. I've, I've become an investigator. In fact, I became one of the Phoenix Lights. You know, after seeing it in the days that followed, I, I talked to a lot of people. Uh, I didn't tell them that I had seen it, but I talked to a lot of people because, you know, at the time I was still combating the debunkers, you know, like Philip Class. And uh, if I would have said anything back then about seeing the Phoenix Lights, they would they would have used it. I mean, they, it would have become all new accusations for them, just something more. You know, oh, you saw the Phoenix Lights too? Well, <laughs> they're both in central. They're both happened in central Arizona. <laughs> they're right where they are. You know, so that's not not odd. But uh, I've become an investigator, and I, I still am. And and uh, I've really gone into it. I mean, very very much so. Well, it's interesting. I, I have actually become an investigator myself based on some sightings that I saw in Pismo Beach, California, about two years ago. And then I had some sightings in Joshua Tree uh, two, a year and a half ago. And then I saw a 40-foot uh, chrome, whether it was a spaceship or an orb, I couldn't tell you, but it was round in the Mojave Desert about four months ago, 120 yards in the sky at 6 o'clock. It was still light out. So, uh, no, it's a passion. I, I can totally relate. I, what, what are you seeing? Are you seeing anything currently? Are you out there looking and finding things? Anything you can share? I'm curious. In the Arizona area? Uh, I had an experience when I was logging up in uh, Utah, southern Utah, uh, and I've been told that was a fireball, but, you know, it was moving way, way slower than to be a fireball because it lasted uh, five, five minutes or longer. But, uh, Basically, that's it. I mean, and of course, I, I'm, I'm somewhat of a skeptic. I guess you'd say, even though I'm a believer, I have a skeptical view of the Phoenix Lights, um, and I'm just trying to be honest about it. Right. But it's all because of the yeah. investigation. Yeah. Understood, and definitely respect all of that. Um, Mike, I'm curious. Your father, did he have any experiences of his own? Did he ever see any strange lights in the sky? He never did, but my grandfather, his father did. Ah, there we go. My grandfather, when, when he, when he was, uh, we're talking about back now, right after the 1900s began, he was a mason. He was working on a, a building and he just got a funny feeling. He looked up and he, he saw this, this silver ball way up in the sky. 
this was back before weather balloons or anything like that. And uh, he stayed there, and he just stayed there for a long time. We kept looking at it. Um, that's the only experience he ever had. But it was very strange to him, and it's very strange to hear about. And it helped make him realize that there can be things, you know, that you can't understand. Right. And he didn't even call it a UFO. He just said it was a, a big silver ball or, or, or something like that. Yeah. And uh, it stayed up there a long time. Yeah, that was the best way he could describe it. Yeah. Very nice, very nice. Yeah. Did you ever uh, travel things out there? Things have changed. We were talking about that earlier, how things have changed. Uh, things have they changed. They have really changed. Oh, my goodness. Go ahead, Eric. No, I'm wondering, did you get a chance to travel outside Arizona? For example, Trout Lake, Washington, there's the East City Ranch. And I can pretty much guarantee you if you came out there, you're going to see some things. That if you want to see something for sure, that's the place to go. I can I can 100% vouch for that because I've, I've had my sightings there recently. That's wild stuff. Uh, there's all sorts of weird things that happen out in Arizona and New Mexico. It's like a hotbed. Yeah, yeah. they're all over the place. You know, people don't are not going to want to believe, uh, you know, this thing that I'm presenting, you know, about being born on the wind, but. Uh, I think some people will go ahead along with it because a lot of believers are not necessarily steadfast in, in their seemingly solid beliefs. They hold things in, in a state of quandary, a lot of them. And, uh, you know, they, people don't necessarily have to have the Phoenix Lights be extraterrestrial because there's an awful lot going on. You, you're talking about thing other, other places and other things. There's a, a tremendous amount of things going on in this world right now, all over the all over the globe. Fantastic things. And I don't know what they are. I don't well, know what's going on. I just know what I've experienced, but I do know that's I can going make on one, everywhere. Uh, parting comment and, and then I can hang up. But here's my take on the Phoenix Lights. Uh, it's very prob- it's very plausible. First of all, I do believe we have a secret space program. So I, uh, it's plausible that what flew over Phoenix was not ET, but it was one of ours. And that's plausible. But I don't think yeah, we would be plausible. building craft like that. If, if they weren't concerned and, and, and having a space force, a corporation formed in our United States government, if they weren't concerned that there was other things flying in the sky that, that are not being driven by humans. Mm-hmm. Well, that's perfectly yeah. viable. Yeah. <laughs> My goodness. Yep. And I, I, I agree. Good points on both sides here. Um, Eric, any, any, any other questions before I let you go here? No. It's, it's, it was good talking to you again, Michael. I'm glad I was able to get a, tune into your show. So I'll just hang up and listen to the rest on the radio. Understood, understood. Good talking. Thank you so much for calling in, my friend. All right, buddy. Take Bye-bye. care. And there he goes, and that number is 760-332-8724. If you feel compelled enough to call in, go ahead. Right now is a perfect time to do so. So, Mike, going back to the year 1997, what a tremendous year it was for those in ufology. You had all sorts of things going on. Uh, you had the X-Files and you had the Phoenix Lights incident go on. And, of course, just 13 days after the Phoenix Lights incident, that's when the Heaven's Gate coat, uh, they went to action. Yeah. My God. Yeah. Do you remember where you were? That was quite something. Yes. Do you recall any of that? What's that? Do you recall any of that stuff going on? Oh, I remember seeing and hearing things on the news, yeah. Well, out here in my neck of the woods uh, in San Diego, not very far from where I am, and that's such a nice neighborhood, by the way. 
right where this mass suicide took place. Oh, yeah. Wasn't the leader of that, his name was Apple or something like that? Marshall Applewhite. Yeah. My God. Yeah, that was. That wasn't as big as the incident down in South America with uh, Jim Jones's group. Yeah, Jim Jones. 900 and some people, but yeah, that kind of thing is disturbing, very disturbing. It, it truly is. It, it truly is. And for those who are not up to speed or do not recall anything we're t- what we're talking about here, of course, that's the Heaven's Gate uh, cult. They all believe they would ascend to unite with extraterrestrials. Uh, alongside the comet Hellbop. Yeah. 1997. Yeah, Hellbop was way out by that time, but but they thought they were going to catch a ride on its tail or something like that. That could have been a you know media hype, but that's what I heard. That's what I heard myself, and I definitely still want the discontinued uh, Nike shoes that they all had on. <laughs> yeah. Those Nike decades, they were called. Wow. My God, they discontinued them. I really do wish Nike would bring them back. They would make lots of money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to Terrible. say about that. <laughs> I know, I, I know. It's very awful. But here we are talking about these incredible things, and that leads me to ask you, Mike, what what exactly is your opinion on the afterlife? I don't think I've ever heard you talk about that sort of thing. Well, I'm a realist, but I don't... I'm not a, a disbeliever. You know, I, I was born a Mormon. You were, I sort of became like Travis. You know, I you got, were born I, a Mormon. I didn't know that. Yeah. And uh, I don't go to church or anything anymore, but uh, I was born in, but, and I kind of lean that way, but it's not a strong leaning. I, I, I'm kind of an agnostic. Uh, I'm not an atheist. I'm not a good Mormon. I'm a good person. I try to be, but uh, I'm not steadfast in a religious belief of any kind. Understood. But I'm not an atheist. Yeah. I actually, if I would have to box myself in, and I hate to do this, but I would sort of consider myself an agnostic atheist. An agnostic atheist. Right. I've never heard that term before. <laughs> it's a good little mix. It's, it's, a, it's a good little mix. It just means I, I keep Jesus in my back pocket. Yeah. You never know. Well, that's what I do. Yeah. You never know, and I respect all the religions out there, by the way. I, I think they are all good in a sense. They all bring you back to a God, which is not exactly a negative thing. It's once when man corrupts the, the words. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like believers and skeptics in a way. A lot of skeptics are atheists, actually, uh, and, and I think more believers are, are religious, but I don't know how you'd equate that exactly. I just know that believers, by their very nature, is positivism, and believers are good people and they're they're adventurous people. Right. Uh, skeptics, on the other hand, well, they can be adventurous, but it just seems that they're a little more negative. Basically, not all of them. It's just kind of a an over you know it runs through it. Yeah, a lot of angry people and, uh, out there. Say that again. A lot of angry people out there too. Oh yeah, and angry believers and angry skeptics. And oh yes, people who don't care about being a believer or a skeptic, uh, and there's a lot of those as well. Uh, the whole, uh, people are all different. Oh yeah, all sorts Everybody's of walks. Different. Yeah, all the walks of life out there. It's it's astonishing. There's so many different types of individuals out there, and you never know what someone's thinking either. Man is very wild still, in my opinion. 
Oh, he is wild. <laughs> wild. News. My God. I mean, yes. it is really bad. You know, what I personally believe about all that is the word bias. Bias thinking. In other words, wishful thinking. People make a living these days too easily. And because of that, they're not critical of their surroundings. They're not critical of the world. And even though criticalness is skepticism, basically, uh, people need to see the reality the way it really is. You see, I call immense bias IQ neutralized. I even have a little formula that's just make-believe, but it's a 160 IQ times bias equals IQ 106. <laughs> I like that. Uh, bias really does impair your ability to think straight. And people today seem to be this, the, the bias thinking seems to be welling up, yes. welling up. And I think that's what the core root of most of this, this is going on. Yeah, most of society, they are oblivious to lots of yeah. things going on. And lots of them lack common sense as well. Very astonishing. Well, that's why, that's why I call bias thinking IQ neutralizes because it is, is relaxing objectivity terribly. Uh, critical thinking, you know, common sense uh, just seemed to go away with biased thinking. Indeed. And one of the things that I thought about during the break, uh, briefly, once you mentioned um, how you discovered this program, you mentioned Coast to Coast AM. And now I remember the first time I heard you, and that was when you were on Dreamland with Art and uh, Travis. Yeah. That was a long time ago. Oh, yeah. Very, very long time ago. And that was the very first time I heard you talk. Yeah. Great. That, that was a long time ago. That, was, that would have been about 40, 30, 39, 40 years ago, I think. My God. <laughs> That's crazy. Half a lifetime. <laughs> That's insane. But, yeah, that the whole story, it's, it's, it's one that's been with me for, for a long time. Mike, so I'm so glad you were able to spend time with myself and all the listeners out there. I thank you for that. Oh, yes. That's the first time I've talked about what I think about the Phoenix Lights, and I've written a piece about it. Uh, I guess somebody could contact me if they want. I, I could, for free, I could give them a, a, uh, an email, you know, would have it all, all in there, all, all the illustrations and everything, but right now there's no book or anything like that, so. That's the only way they could get it. They could get it on your website, depending on what, how much you put up there. But there's not right. a lot to the Phoenix Lights, and I really got into, into it and uh, really discovered a lot of things that are very astounding. Understood. And we are coming up to the end of the interview here, but I, I do want to quickly ask you if there are any other classic UFO cases that you can think of off the top of your head that you I believe are credible, Mike. Uh, there are several, but in order to talk about them, I'd have to kind of take more time than we have here. Understood, uh, understood. There are a number that are, are credible. Uh, that's basically it. Yeah. Um, I'll just throw one out not there. Not one any more than the other, but mm-hmm. there are several. What do you think about Betty and Barney Hill, the, the classic case out there that everyone's heard of? Uh, do you think that's, do you think that happened? I don't know. That's one of those that's kind of in between. I don't know what to think of it. I can tell you this. Mm-hmm. I met Barney, uh, Betty Hill my, myself at one time when I was back in Connecticut, and uh, she went on about having a Bigfoot in her yard. 
that kind of set me off hmm. you know, kind of in the wrong direction. But Bigfoot? <laughs> you know, I don't know. That's odd. Maybe Bigfoot does those kind of things. I really just don't know, but it just seemed to kind of put it in a bad light. Right, right. And, man, you mentioned Bigfoot. That's one thing that I, I have a very hard time uh, buying. Yeah, I do, too. It's one of those things that doesn't seem all uh, that real to me. It's sort of hard to I'm sell that one. That it's, it's yeah. definitely, you know, bad, but you know, it just seems to me that it's uh, make-believe. Right. I'm not married to any one notion. I'm always eligible to change my perspective on anything, but Bigfoot, oh, that, my. on Bigfoot, you know, that's one that I could uh, sort of rule out very slightly. Yeah, slightly. Yeah, slightly. You know, the truth is, I don't know anything. <laughs> I'm not even certain if I'm actually alive. Uh, the more you get into things, the more you realize how much you don't know. That's right. This could all be a figment of our imaginations. It could be. You never it's know. It very well could be. You never know. It's it's very true. It's very true. And, Mike, I, I just want to thank you tremendously for being a part of the program. I'm so glad you were able to reach out to me. Uh, I, I just i am flattered that you wanted to be a part of all of this. It's been a fantastic time, and I'm honored to have you on board. Uh, go ahead and give out your email if you if you feel you can. You could do that now. Okay. Uh, you actually know what you have it there. I, I can't, I, I'm not looking at it at the moment. It's, uh, uh, one Heston as in Charlton Heston, one Heston, one, um, and then I can't remember what after that. But, oh, it, you know, it's, dot, 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 yeah, it's one, two, three, five at gmail.com. Oh yeah. One, two, three, five. One Heston, one, one, two, three, five dot com. There you go, folks. And of course, I'll also put your email up on the website so people can reach you that way too. Yeah. I will email what I have. And there's a lot of illustrations, uh, I think 19 or 20 of them. That's quite a bit, but I can you'll email that out for free. Yes, no doubt. At least for a while. I don't know how long I can do that, but I can do that much. Yeah, so, Mike, once again, thank you so much for being a part of the program, and I'll definitely get in touch with you again, and I'll bring you back on here in the future. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you very much. All right, Mike. Take care, and God bless. You bet. You too. All right. Bye-bye. And there he goes, ladies and gentlemen. That was amazing. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Mr. Mike Rogers there. Incredible, really. I am just dumbfounded by the whole thing. That was incredible. And in a moment, after this break, I'll wrap up the program here. Stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. I actually commended him when we, we spoke personally. And I told him, I said, good for you, you know, standing up for your rights. Because as you said, uh, the freedom of speech is being taken away. And welcome back to the program, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for still being here with me tonight. I hope all of you enjoyed the music. And joining me now is one more soul. Vanessa, are you alive? Hi there. Hello, and welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for uh, being here with me Tonight under pale moonlight. Ooh, romantic. I know, right? It, it really is a romantic night. It's it's obviously not such a hot night out here where I am. Very humid, um, but not not as hot as it usually is. It's, it's starting to finally cool down out here in the desert. Yeah. Well, it's September now. I know. Thank God. Yeah. Finally. September first. Second. Where I'm. Where at. did where did the time go? 
Well, I mean, right? It I was can't even believe it. One year ago. <laughs> I can't even believe we're in September already. <laughs> this year just went by so fast. It really did. Holy hell. And for those new in attendance and never heard of me before, my name is Michael, and I am the host and producer of this very unique and incredible program. And right now what you are listening to is the final stretch of the program where we usually let our hair down and go into all sorts of different things. And I do certainly appreciate all of you out there still being here with me tonight. I love seeing all those pretty faces out there and even the ugly ones. We are all one. Yes. We love the ugly ones, too. We we really do. We really do. (laughs) And, of course, welcome back to those out there who were already listening since the beginning. The first guest tonight was... Mr. Mike Rogers, and did you listen to that? Yes, I did. I was impressed. Did you like that story? Yes, I did. I very, I, I, I saw that movie recently. Oh my goodness. Did you like the film? I actually did, but I knew that like it was, um, changed. The story was changed a little bit. Like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But I like it. But did you, did you believe it though? Um, yeah, because it's a lot of people. So you're in, you're all in with the story. I am because it was it was a time before the internet where people were trying to become famous right. before YouTube. Word, word. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. It's just you know it's one of those things. I'm still very skeptical about everything, but that case right there is one where I sort of lean towards perhaps it really did happen. Yeah. Well, if you believe one, there's you know well, still, there's no. there's hope for you yet. <laughs> you never know, and of course, lots of people have their opinion on Travis Walton and of course if his story is true or not very well, very he, good he's a hustler i'll tell you he's that. a hustler you think yeah like i mean you know he he knows i mean in his whole life i mean he's lucky this happened to him if it did happen to him <laughs> right and of course that's what's so great about this program that this is an open platform for all walks of life for everyone and their mama um, that number is seven six zero three three two eighty seven uh twenty four or on Skype end of days Mike and that's Mike with the letter Y and not an I. Come on down, don't be scared. Call in now if you want. Ooh, join us. We don't bite. Too hard. Well Michael does. I bite yeah, that's true. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I usually leave a scar. Ooh. And for those that don't know, I took last week off and I felt it was a little bit appropriate to rest up a bit. And in my downtime, I was able to get every single goddamn episode of the program on iTunes and Google Play. And that was not fun. That was not a fun task, ladies and gentlemen. It was actually pretty awful. It made me realize I've been doing the show for quite some time now. Isn't that crazy, Vanessa? Yes. I mean, what, two years almost? It seems like it. Just about. Mm -hmm. Where did the time go once again? Very strange. And a a few of those out there, if if you miss those shows, definitely go back and listen to it. I was completely surprised with some of the shows, with some of the guests. You impressed yourself. Not with me, but with them. Yeah. I I got to listen back with a new pair of ears, as they say. Mm -hmm. It was pretty crazy. Some of the shows were really good. Yes. I'm not saying them because of me, not my part, just the (laughs) guest. Some of the guests, rather. Oh, I know which one you're talking about. (laughs) 
<laughs> there's there's plenty of those shows out there. Yeah. And there's plenty of, of really good shows out there too, not just mine. Not just mine. And by the way, Vanessa, I do want to thank you for being a part of the program here again. For those that don't know, that is the official Florida correspondent of the That's program. Right. Yes, you are definitely 100% a part of the program. Aw, thank you. Well, I mean, you always knew that. That's not, you know. Well, you tell me privately. Well, of but course. But you don't tell me, like, on the air. Well, I mean, this, you are a part of the program. Oh, thank you. I, I talk so much about Florida. I mean, it, it, you have to be. It's only right. It's only appropriate, yes. Yes. And that brings me to, um, you know, before I even get into the Florida news with you, I wanted to bring up Mr. Alex Jones. Oh, great. I wanted you to talk about him. Did you really want me to go there? Because, you know, I can back out now. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm not, you know, I'm not ready to go down yet. No, <laughs> I'm ready. So here we are in the later rounds, and I'm not just backed into the ropes here blindly swinging. This may be the final stretch of the evening, and, and before we wrap up all this stuff here, there's some several uh, pieces of business to get into here before we close up shop. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that is in regards to one Alex Jones. He's had a very uh, tremendous 2018, wouldn't you say, yes. Vanessa? Yes. Holy shit, multiple lawsuits, uh, baby mama drama. His, you know, there's all sorts of things going on with one Alex Jones. But there's a favorite now. What do you mean? That's my favorite. The new one is my favorite. His new reincarnation? No, his new, his new problem. Which is, oh, the new issue. Yes. Oh, I didn't think I'd have to go there, but you know, since we are here after hours, I thought, well, why not? Yes. Why not hide it, right? Yes, I mean, he didn't. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, yeah, exactly. He did something, not me. Yes, exactly. Wow. You know what's Just interesting? That history. You know what's interesting? It's always the ones that are the most vocal, that See, have the, the number of too. issues. If it bothers them so much, there's probably a reason. And let, let, let's put this into proper perspective here. He's been correct on a few things. Let, let's leave it at that. And you know, I don't exactly hate him. I kind of find him entertaining at times. But, of course, he's... Oof, he's said some pretty strange things and of course recently banned by all sorts of uh, platforms out there mm-hmm. my god and recently messed up which is messed up right that's not that's not good i don't think he should be censored in that sort of way that's 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 not good however yeah. the new issue that he's facing now mm, yes <laughs> and he's been vocal about this sort of thing oh yes and isn't it strange Yes. Are you going to say it? Well, of course. He was caught red-handed. Ladies and gentlemen, screenshots are out there. And, of course, the video is unaltered. It's out there. Definitely, it's on video. If it's on video. And definitely he had a little open tab there. Watching things we cannot really speak of here, but (laughs) we will. And, yeah. He had some tranny porn. He had some tranny porn. And it's just amazing to see people on the right so into strange sexual fetishes or un, un, uh, unorthodox uh, preference, rather. Right-wing wacko uh, Gavin McGinnis, he's another one of those who is a weird uh, homosexual type with uh, <laughs> questionable morals. And yeah, you not got the there's other... anything wrong with that. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm just being yeah. blunt with, with who he is, with what he 
Yeah. What he's, you know, what he's all about. And then he throws that out there himself. It's not like it's something that's new, but it's just very strange that all these people are so into this sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, it is pretty weird. There's others out there. You, yeah. you do have Milo out there, who's another one. Yeah, but tran porn? I mean, like, you look that up. Like, he really, like... He was looking that up. He has a preference. <laughs> he really does. He really does. And it's yeah, not... Did I, you see his response? I, You know what? I, I saw that today, and I was just oh. astonished. I was laughing. You don't just... <laughs> said... You know, you don't just accidentally just come across a tranny porn pop-ups. That's not exactly what a straight male who would be looking up at porn would uh, encounter. It's very small in percentage that you would receive these tranny porn pop-ups. I know from yeah, experience. Like I, I would, like, I would know, like, I mean, if he had, like, porn and he was, like, a pop-up because he was on some, like... Did you I hear what know. I said? <laughs> what did you say? I said, I know from, from experience. experience, yeah. So, I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, it, I tried to. It, it, you really have to specifically be going on there is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, that's what he'd like. That that's just disgusting. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, if you're into it, that's that's your thing, but it's not my cup of tea. Yeah, I mean, but and if you're a person that's constantly like bashing those type of people, it's kind of messed up. Right, because he's been bashing them for a long time. Yeah, he's called them demons, like, <laughs> right. stuff like that. He actually yeah. has. He's called them all sorts of um, horrible things. Exactly. I think he's called them saint satanists too. Yes. And pedophiles. <laughs> yes. Wow. And his his the reply was that there are two types of people, those that look at porn and those that lie about it. And then he said, I don't look at porn. Was he talking about himself? <laughs> I mean, yes. He, right after he said, I don't look at porn. This is a very so. strange revelation into the life of one Alex Jones caught looking with trans porn on his telephone. Yeah. My God. And he got nervous when he was asked about it. So. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it's kind of funny. Again, <laughs> the ones who are the most vocal are always the most troubled. Yes. Now, I myself never have explored those realms, and I'm not really interested in those sort of activities. And I'm not going to judge you for those sort of things, but Alex Jones, I think it's just funny because it's him. Exactly. Because it's Alex Jones. That's what makes yeah. it funny. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Right. He's pretty funny, yes. Right, right, right. And uh, people are dumb. Yeah. That's another thing. These are the kind of people, by the way, that are no different than the Kardashians. And uh, I'm I'm comparing the Kardashians to Trump. I mean, to Trump, to uh, Alex Jones, (laughs) rather. Yeah, I mean, followers. Yeah, they just, uh, it's very strange, this uh, blind following that we see. Of the herd mentality. It's very odd. Yeah, that is really, really scary. And being a female, like, I know and I see, like, other females and they do it. And, like, you know, they follow these people. And it's pretty, it's pretty... Are you in tranny porn, by the way? Vanessa, are you into tranny that? Tranny porn? No. Does that do it for you? <laughs> no, it doesn't do it for me at all. <laughs> Jesus. I'm old-fashioned, you know? You're a little old-fashioned. Yes. I understand. I understand. And, again, there's nothing wrong with that. No. I just think it's better to be more blunt or upfront, rather, about yeah. this sort of thing. Exactly. Yeah, just look or at Or he should clear his history, you know? Or that, too. He should hide it better. That's another it's another thing. But, wow. Yeah. He was looking up at some Australian tranny, I think the story goes. Yes. <laughs> wow. That 
isn't that that's just wild. Yeah, they're going crazy. <laughs> they're like saying um, that he's wow. supporting them and stuff. I don't know. Maybe it'll work out. Maybe for it will. Maybe. Well, he should. I think. Yeah, he should, he just, should use it in his favor. He somehow. Just, right. He should just admit to it. Yeah. That's the best thing you could do now. It mm-hmm. just reminds me of um, Rob Ford. Back in 2013, he was caught smoking crack mm-hmm. on video. Uh oh. That's uh, Toronto's former mayor. Mm-hmm. That's he was he was living it up, right? I mean, crack. That's pretty. That's intense. Smoking crack. But I mean, that's these are the kind of individuals I'm saying that are out there. Just look at Anthony Weiner, another guy. That's insane. He lived up to his name. Your name is your destiny. He did not let us down. No. <laughs> and he was not down, uh, pun intended. Oh, God. <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. And it's it's very sad what we're seeing. And, of course, um, people were emailing me earlier. I was going to get into a long uh, rant into this, but I decided not to. I'll just quickly say that some people were giving me a little bit of heat over uh, Anthony Bourdain. Oh, why? Because uh, you don't like him? Because Yeah, because I was being negative and I called him a junkie. Oh. But, I mean, he kind of is. He was kind of a beta male. Yes, I and, don't like him. And I, I said it a long time ago. People thought, they're like, you're wrong, Michael. He, you know, there, there's a conspiracy angle. And I just thought, oh, God. I just thought, just shut up. Yes. Please. I already knew, look, I already knew certain things. And mm-hmm. I kind of already knew this was uh, something that was going on. So relax. Give me a break. Yes. Yuck, by the way. <laughs> so I'll say by the, in regards to uh, Anthony Bourdain, we won't have to go into that here. No. And another thing that I did want to ask you was about the in and out situation here in California. Of course, you're not really prevalent to what's going on out here in California, but there's some sort of a boycott going on. Mm-hmm. The Democrats are very angry boycotting in and out because really? the fast Why? food chain uh the fast food chain this week Vanessa they donated uh 25 grand uh, to help the republicans out for this no- uh, November um uh, well i mean that that's kind of stupid <laughs> I don't understand why you would want to the, the this brand i believe it's owned by some christian family yeah, they, I mean, if they, the food is good, who cares who they the, support? Right, the food is actually really good. I, I believe some of their food actually has Bible verses in them. So why oh. why anyone would be surprised or take action now is a little odd. Yeah, that is pretty weird. Like, who really cares what their religious belief is, really? Yeah. That and I, their political view. You know, I, I don't really support or care much that they're pushing out their religious view or donating money in that regard. I, I don't care. Yeah. But I mean, a lot I, of people I, are mad. Yeah. I, I mean, I prefer not knowing, honestly. You know, like. You don't even eat meat. Like, <laughs> I don't even eat meat. <laughs> no, I don't. That's another I thing. I do enjoy French fries. <laughs> French fries, yes. Are, do you like them there? Well, I remember we don't have that here. Oh, that's on the right. East Coast. Yeah, but I I actually did eat there once, and I had a grilled cheese, and I had french fries, but it was when I was vegetarian. Yeah. (laughs) It was good. A long time ago. It was a long time ago, yes. It was like six years ago. Understood, understood. So, yes, there's outrage going on. I just think it's kind of ridiculous, really. Yeah, but I do prefer a time when we didn't know 
what people like, you know, like back in the nineties when we would watch a movie and <laughs> right. we'd be like, that's it. We watched the movie and that's it. That's it. You don't know about like, them. Yeah. And now yeah. you know about now their we know life. Too much. I, I blame yeah. that on the whole reality era that we were sucked into back in 2005, 2006. And that's kind of where my original disdain comes from the president, uh, Donald Trump. Yeah. I've always been honest about this. It's not like something I'm going to sugarcoat and uh, lie to <laughs> anyone out there listening. And that's kind of where my dislike comes from. Um, I'll, I'll still support any president, to be honest with you, but I'm just being blunt with you. Mm-hmm. That's that's sort of where it stems from. Yes. I kind of blame him for for doing this. Really? I don't I've never In a way, <laughs> in a way I kind of do. I blame the internet. Do you blame the internet? Yes. You think it's ruined everything? Everything. It's gone. Everything. I feel like it's destroyed people and I think that you know everybody now has a mental illness and I'm pretty sure How it's mental because illness. of the internet. I think because it's because of the internet. You might be right. I I talk a little bit about that before. In previous episodes where I, I've said that the Internet kind of gives everyone some sort of form of uh, of autism. Yes. <laughs> right? Yes. You're here long enough, something might happen. <laughs> Your perceptions yeah. alter, definitely, and uh, it's a double-edged sword, yeah. per se. It really is. And now we should finally get into some Florida news, and this next story, I can't really exactly be upset with them, I actually have to give them a little bit of respect for their creativity. Mm-hmm. That, of course, is a Florida couple. They built some sort of a drive-through window into a mobile home to sell drugs. I mean, again, hustling. They're hustling. It's pretty good, right? Yes. And this is in. Tell me if I box this, by the way. Ocala. Oca. Oh, that's what it's called. Yeah. Ocala. Uh huh. Right. William Parrish and Mackenzie Dobbs, uh, they were selling uh, drugs out of this uh, drive through window mm-hmm. over in Marion County. I mean... According to the sheriff's office. I mean, it's pretty creative. It kind of is. It kind of is. Yeah, and we go through drive throughs all the time that hurt us. <laughs> I don't think that's that's a pretty good idea what they did. Yeah, I, mean, I think so, too. I think yeah, someone... supposedly... Right. They got found out because people like started overdosing they started, in the area. Yeah, they were seeing uh, multiple overdoses around that area. That's what the police were saying. They were yeah, selling I mean, heroin. Because it was heroin. Yeah. Right, and it was laced. <laughs> yes, with fentanyl. Right. Holy yeah. hell! Of course, they would get shut down. Funny. Yeah, it is. It's very interesting that they would go uh, to the lengths that they did to do this. But I mean, they got to make that money, right? I mean, they gotta you hustle. Know, it's it's hard out there. It's hard in the streets. That's right. Yes. But goddamn, that's creative, right? Yeah, I mean, you know. You never I mean, know. They, My yeah. goodness, Florida, you gotta give it to to them out there. They, you never know with them. Yeah, and we're creative out here. Respect. Yes, respect. Respect, no doubt. And what what else is happening out there in Florida? I, I don't even know what's going on out there. Aside from uh, people up to no good. Not me. You're behaving out there? (laughs) Yes, I'm behaving. You're not like this other guy I heard about here. This, uh, I guess he gave his girlfriend a wet willy. No, no, nobody does that to me. According to uh, an affidavit here. And this is a 47-year-old man. That's pretty weird. Very, but that's Florida. 
And what, he got in trouble for that? I believe so. Oh. Yeah, really? I, well, I guess he was drunk. Oh. I think, I mean, he, I, actually, I think she was drunk. Oh. Either way, you know how, you know, you know, the, these people, they get some alcohol in them and, you know, things happen. They act, yeah, things happen. They act a fool. Yeah, and then in Florida, you know, the water. The water, the fluoride in the water. Yes, you know, turning the frogs really gay. Well, there, that's, <laughs> that's what happened to Alex Jones. Yes, yes. You see, he called it. He knew what was going to happen to him. It, it, he called his own fate. <laughs> yes. Poor Alex. No. It's a hard week for him, right? <laughs> yeah, well, it's a hard night. It's a hard week. He also believe he lost the case with the Sandy Hook parents. Oh. So, man, that, that's a lot of money he's losing out. Yeah. Ooh, not good. That's got to hurt. Maybe that's why he's looking up the porn. Ooh, right. He's to, to, to release to release stress. some of that. Yeah. Yes. You know, I think that's kind of what happens. Just look at Charlie Sheen. Oh God. You know, you you go through all kinds of women, and perhaps you want to venture into the whole male angle, and that's when you, you know you want to experiment and get into that. Yeah, I think that's that happens. A I lot. think that happened to him. I, I don't know. I've never, you know, again, not judging. I, I just never gone down that road. Yeah, I think that happens though a lot, like with, with these, you know, these rich people. That's why they do drugs and stuff. Yeah, I don't think you really need to be rich because there is another guy out there who used to uh, talk about me every so, every now and uh, every now and so often, and mm-hmm. you know, I destroyed him on the air. He was one of those people who are just insane. Oh, so that he tried all? Well, you know, he he's not. He's not someone who's rich, but he, of course, is doing drugs, and he's about 60 years old now, I believe, and he's a cross-dresser in his own oh. private time. Um, I mean, that's... Well, that's extensive. You know, that's none of my business, but that's what he throws out there. That's pretty weird. Okay. Indeed. You see, you just never know. People are sick out there. Yeah, I mean, people have, you know, hobbies. They are into everything. I shouldn't yes. say they're sick. I should say they are just very... They like to explore. Yes, yes. <laughs> Not my cup of tea. Me Good either. Good lord. <laughs> Yet again, we have love for all, though. Yes. Not to, not to uh, get too far ahead of ourselves here. Well, you know, the second half of your program is always controversial. It always is. That's when we say all kinds of crazy things. Yes. But I mean, we have to be honest. Yes. I just think these people are very wild. Yeah, they have hate in their hearts. They they obviously do. These people don't live in reality. Yes. That's all I could really say, but it's the truth. And I disagree with you, so I don't like, you know. That's fine, but these, some of these yeah. people don't live in reality, and that's kind of my final word here tonight. Mm-hmm. And that that's fine. If you disagree, we could always talk about this on the air. Don't don't think you can't talk. Don't don't think you can't call in now. Ooh. Seriously, I would love to hear anyone out there with any sort of opposing view. Yeah, I'd love Alex to talk Jones. to you on Alex Jones on anything I said here tonight. You know the number; it's always there. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm always here and open to listen to you and your arguments against what I said here tonight. On the Fine air with me. would be nice, right? It'd be great. Don't email me; just you know, call me up here and yes. we'll discuss all these things here. And I would love. To hear from each and one of you on this program, be badass. And of course, for those out there, I was able 
to go back and listen to shows from the past, like I said, and it was really crazy. It tripped me out. And you can go to iTunes and, of course, any sort of uh, podcast media player and uh, look up the program End of Days and you'll find the archive there. Are you on Spotify? Yep, on Spotify. And every single damn episode is up there. Ooh. It took forever to do, by the way. Yes. Not happy. So go listen. Yeah, so please go listen. And, of course, for those who donated, it warms my blackened heart. Thank you to those out there who have donated. Joe, uh, Nick, Steve, and Will, thank you all very much. Thank you to my brothers and sisters around the world. Uh, Guten Morgen. The the Germans out there love you out there. They're fantastic special. Thank you to the folks over at Alien Babble and, of course, over at the Fringe FM Radio Deprogrammed. That's another network we are on. And definitely keep donating money here and supporting the program. you got to help keep the lights on. The server costs uh, money. There's new equipment to get. Buttons are getting sticky out here. <laughs> well, that's other reasons. That, yeah, that was, the, that was because of the water. <laughs> it was because of the water, uh, you know, the tranny porn. Oh, God. <laughs> right. Yes. And I believe we do have a caller here. Caller, you are live on the air. How can I help you, sir? You know, I really respect your show, and uh, I don't want to be salty. Uh-oh. Why do you have to have this girl on the phone every goddamn time oh, she brings no. down the show? Every damn time. Listen, so listen, listen. Uh, calm down. Get back in the oh. kitchen and cook Calm down. Food. Calm down. Listen. Do you have, um, I, I think why, has- why are you so angry? Oh, he ran like a coward. Uh, he ran. Gay too. I guess he's drinking that water. Oh, cut. Why do you always take his call? Oh, no. <laughs> uh, because, you know, I want to talk to these people out there that, that have this hate in their heart, but then they that run away. He really hates me, though. Well, he has hate in his heart because he probably has problems. Yes, he's probably spends too much time on the Internet. He's That's autistic. one of them. He, he has autism. <laughs> Yes. It's all right. He, you know, we were we were going to try to get into the root of the issue, but he ran away. Yeah. Perhaps okay. perhaps you remind him of a woman that perhaps oh, he was going for him? that denied him. Yeah. Oh, that's so sad. But I mean, that's the reality of of some of these issues that some men have that they I project. I wonder who that is. Who is that? I, I'm not exactly sure who he is, but it is one of these long-time listeners. He did do one of these drive-by insults with you, but um, he, he just seems to tuck his tail in between his legs and runs away every time. Yeah. I'm not sure why. I don't know why he hates me. I know. We were going to try to find out. We are going to see why he hates you. Perhaps you remind him uh, of a woman he couldn't get or perhaps a woman that hurt him in the past, and perhaps that's where the heart, that's where the hate and his heart comes from. Yeah, I think he's just watching too much tranny porn. Or maybe he's watching too much Alex Jones and he he's, you know, looking at Milo and Gavin McGinnis, you know. Yeah. The usual suspects. Mm-hmm. I, I guess you hang around with these kind of people, you're going to start looking at tranny porn. Yes. I wish he would call back so I could tell him he's up, you know. It's too bad he's not calling back. I really do wish he could call in here. Yeah. He's always welcome to call in, and we could hash this out. Mm-hmm. But he he just you know chooses to run away. Yes. 
poor guy. I feel bad for him. I really do. I, I really do feel bad for the the poor man out there. Yeah, I'm going to pray for him. <laughs> yeah, you should pray for him. <laughs> yes. By the way, one of my um one of the guests that I was going to bring on here, mm-hmm. her name is Valeria. And uh-huh. she sort of fell out. Is it Valeria or I, her I, Valeria? I have no clue really, but that's the way I someone said it that way to me, so Okay, okay. Yeah, she's someone who David Sarita had mentioned to me privately. So, you know, I'm in contact with her, and she was going to be on the program, and she had thrown this question out, and she said something like, would you be okay? Uh, because, well, she, she posted this on her, on her private, well, I shouldn't say private, it's out, it's a public, her Facebook thing. It's something that just came up here, mm-hmm. and I, I wanted to get your take on this. Okay. She had said she never really you know, post these sort of things on here. And she said, and it's, it's, it's something that I always recommend doing as well. And she put, would you be okay with me following your ex that hurt you? And I hardly know, or don't know at all in person. Okay. That's, that's just something she put on, on Facebook. And, mm-hmm. you know, she got into this long discussion with all sorts of people, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, apparently she's, uh, the friends or something, her friend is going on, uh, going out with one of her exes. And it made me wonder, um, how would you take that? Um, can you be depends. friends with someone it depends. that way? I mean, if I was friends with somebody that and would started, go out with, right. And they started dating one of your exes. How would you feel? I mean, you don't do that, but if I'm happy and I'm in a happy relationship, I really wouldn't care that much, to be honest. But that's just the way I am. I don't think it's right. Right. And, of course, she followed up, followed up with um, cutting the cord from toxic situations. And, of course, she obviously acknowledges the bigger picture. And that's something that I say about everyone out there, too, not just with people in relationships, but those who, you know, they, they give you those sort of vibes. Yeah, you those, should just, like, eliminate them from your life. Yeah, cut the cord, indeed. You need to cut that toxic cord out your life. Yeah, kind of like that collar. We're going to cut him out. <laughs> yeah, we're going to cut him like a cancer. Yes, that asshole. Sorry. I don't know why he <laughs> ran away, though. I don't know why he hates me. Like, why does he hate me? Well, I mean, I, clearly he likes it enough that he, like, he's still listening. He listened for quite some time. Yeah. I, I think he yeah. probably just, you know, you remind him of something, obviously. Yeah. I'm, I, yeah. I trigger him. It's okay. You sure do. But mm-hmm. I do want to thank you for being a part of the program, Vanessa. It's been a fun time. No problem. Didn't you have fun? I always have fun. Wasn't that a good time? Always. It, it really is. We always get a chance to talk here on the end of the program and talk about things that really bother us in in uh, some sort of way. Like yeah, standing and, bo- and me bother people in some sort and of And you way triggering too. people and the fact that I, I really get angry standing in line. Oh, because people get not the waiting part. It's that people get very close to me Uh, and they breathe on you. Sometimes I could feel it. But some people, guys and girls, I've seen do this. They get pretty close to me in line. And I just think, my God, you need to step away a little bit, please. Ooh, do they touch you? (laughs) No, they don't touch me, but they get pretty damn close. And it's just odd. It is weird. It happens to me, too. I need space, please. But I'm short and you're tall. I don't like it. So imagine being short and having, like, some big man hover over you. 
Yeah, that's that's no good. No. <laughs> Down your shirt. Oh, no. That's not good either. <laughs> no. Yeah, guys are creeps. Yes. Most most guys are. It's just the way it goes. <laughs> and, again, Vanessa, I do want to thank you for being a part of the program. Love having you here. Always a great time. Thank you. It's perfect when you're here. We get into all sorts of fun banter, things that really do matter. Exactly. So you know what? If you don't like me, Michael likes me, and it's his show. Yeah, and so. plenty of people do, so, you know, you kind of lost. Yes. Thank you. There's always other things to listen to as well. Aw, thank you. Indeed. So, again, Vanessa, thank you for being a part of the program. It's been fun. We'll do it again. All right. Good night. All right. Good night. Mahalo. Bye. Bye-bye. And there goes Vanessa, ladies and gentlemen. And, of course, if you are listening to this on a replay, keep in mind, you can always go back on the TuneIn Radio app and search End of Days, and you'll find the 24-7 network. And, of course, you can go to michaeldeacon.com. That's where you can find some of the episodes and find further information on various things. And, of course... If you enjoyed tonight's program, please go ahead and donate on the right-hand side of the website, michaeldeacon.com. Any amount, truly appreciated. Thank you so much for being here. It's been fantastic. I'm always honored and just completely blown away. So many of you listen to the program. It's very good. I'm Michael Deacon. Thank you all for listening tonight. I'm not that way of a Christian. Yeah. 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 It's the simple shit. You go in there, you see the person, and you know, 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 you know